This episode originally aired on October 7th, 2022 on the Unethical Patreon. Our client today is Justin Wood from the podcast called Employee Number One, the Industrial Accident Podcast. I was on there once. Go check it out. Can you just quick sing uh, It Wasn't Me by Shaggy? Do you know that song? I would I would be more than happy to do that for you if you hadn't just consumed uh, peanut, peanut butter on a fuck dog. <laughs> All right, guys, you might remember me. I'm uh, Richard's cousin. I don't know if you know what happened, but he shit the bed. Not, not again. He does that all the time. But... No, he's tits up, done, toast. Okay. Cashed it in. And Fuck. I was going through some of his stuff. He told me to burn a bunch of shit that was under his mattress before his wife got home. And I found his last will and testament. And evidently, he was hoping before he passed away to solve the mystery of Jack the Ripper. Ooh. I'm going to let the ghost of Richard take it from here. Oh. Oh, Richard's dead? Oh, shit. Richard's dead? Yeah. No, I'm not. I'm right here. Oh, psych. Oh, fuck. Dude, you don't know how much shit I almost just sold. <laughs> you can't sell my my subscription to Men's Health magazine. I'm aware. It's seven years old. That's not what I'm talking about, though. Just like this furniture and shit in here. Anything I can do. Okay, well, here's 30 bucks. I'm faking my death. Fuck, someone tried to kill me. So, guys, here's some money. Can you get me some groceries? Oh, fuck. Hey, Rick, come here. Richard just gave us $10. I'll split it with you. Oh, man. I hate to do this to you guys, but I really got to take a shit. God damn it, Justin. You fucking, if you take a shit like you did at Auntie Gretchen's house that stank up the hall, I swear to God, I'm going to be pissed. Is she still passing that around as the uh, fruitcake? Oh, God damn it. Uh, I hate you so much. Go take your shit. I'm going to get started without you. An elite team of private detectives. What if balloons are aliens? Maybe that's the key component we're missing. Cover-ups. John's guilty. Mysteries that need to be solved. Maybe Mormons need mountains. Richard, shut up. I started reading about something way more brutal than I ever thought. I always knew it was brutal, but I never knew it was this bad. So it's going to be a... I don't know if a warning should be issued because this one's fucking nasty. It's a bad one. Uh, but yes, gross. I don't know if it's grosser than uh, Black Dahlia. Cause that was a pretty gross one too. Mm, that was a lot grosser than I thought it would be. Yeah. Or OJ. OJ was pretty gross. We almost OJ made one. Rick yeah. puke. <laughs> you think this one's going to be that bad? Oh yeah, pal. We're going to, we're going to see some chewed up peanut butter and ketchup hot dog. <laughs> <another> time. <laughs> He's like, he's like, <laughs> he, got, he got a garbage bag closer. That's cool. But, but it's something I wanted to cover since I started this show because it's my favorite of the unsolved murder thing, serial killers. I don't know what it is anymore. I've read too much about it now. So, like, I'm in this, whatever it is, it used to be my favorite. Now it's, uh, it's crazier than I ever thought. We're going to cover Jack the Ripper today. The Whitechapel murders. Cool. Should we do like a like a thing like we do like a trigger warning, but like but like cool. So we'll do like like a shotgun <laughs> racking. Yeah, like we'll just do like trigger warning. <laughs> <laughs> trigger warning. That was really fucking intense. <laughs> uh, oh man, perfect. All right. So what this also means, though, is that we get to go back to the 1800s. We haven't done it in a while. I used to do it almost every other fucking episode. We haven't gone to the 1800s. 
This time we're going to London, 1888. So from August 7th to September 10th, 1888, Jack the Ripper was stalking the streets of London, killing and mutilating at least five sex workers in the middle of the night on the street, most of them. This case is mysterious in every aspect. Uh, like even the so-called facts of the case have been scrutinized and torn apart as lies. Recently enough, it's been suggested that most of the canonical victims probably weren't even sex workers. That's one of the biggest facts about Jack the Ripper. That Jack killed prostitutes. Their words, not mine, sex workers, whatever. Uh, so in, in a new book in 2019, Hallie Rubenhold, a British social historian and author of the book, The Five, The Untold Lives of the women killed by Jack the Ripper suggests that three out of five of the canon victims, because there's other victims that they suggest, but we'll get into that. Weren't even sex workers. She said that they were just murdered because they were down on their luck, poor and easy prey, homeless. Basically there's so many suspects in the past 130 years. It's considered one of the earliest serial killers, never been identified. This is probably the reason that this lives on in pop culture in our lives uh, over 130 years later. So for that, those nine weeks in 1888, Jack the Ripper roamed the district of Whitechapel, which is located in the east end of London. I don't know what you guys know about this. Do you guys know anything about this to begin with before I go get ripping here? The one thing I do know is like every painting slash picture I've seen of them trying to figure out who Jack the Ripper is, it's always white people. So props to, to England for, for not getting racist on this one, like every other serial killer or murder out there first blaming someone else so uh, good well, on you guys. I, I fail to believe like any of the propaganda england doesn't have any black people so <laughs> in 1888 maybe i don't know not many you know? oh come on okay come on no it's like it's like the 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 birds thing and the australia thing didn't happen not real <laughs> You're, okay can i tell you one thing rick first of all Good job for trying to give them props for not blaming the black people. Did they get racist on it? Don't worry. They get really racist on it. Ah, just not ah, with the fuck. black people. Mm. <laughs> I will say, though, around the 1750s, London became the home of many African people. It goes on to, to discriminate a lot. I'm just going to cut it off there. <laughs> okay, good. Anyways, cool. don't worry. They don't get racist towards black people. It's others. We'll get there. Oh, oh okay. Yeah, London, London was basically separated in two sides. The east side was really the poor side of London, and the west side was where all the rich people had. The east side was like, just during this time, Whitechapel, which was like kind of the middle of the east end of London, had a population of approximately 78,000 people. And over 6,000 of those people didn't know where they were going to sleep next. Homeless, basically. Uh, that's just Whitechapel. London had a population of 4.7 million people at the time. And about 70,000 of those people didn't know where they're going to be sleeping that night. So that's a shit ton of homeless people for a city. In Whitechapel, most of the jobs for men would, it was like a working class neighborhood. It had like butcher, lots of butcheries, lots of slaughterhouse jobs. Men were always covered in blood. Like they always had aprons on covered in blood. It's just part of the, where it was. Lots of butcheries. People like, there was a slaughterhouse I read about that was like a cat slaughterhouse. That was run by a woman, but still, like, they're fucking killing, eating cats. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's, anyways, there's lots of butcheries. <laughs> Let's just say that. Lots of uh, people hmm. covered in blood. Cool. Main, yeah, different. The main job of the time for women, women was a uh, sex worker. And not out of, like, 
want. It's more of a necessity. They just nowhere else to work. Well, yeah, they filled up all the slots at the cat butcher. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, what are you gonna do? Yeah, it, it, even at the cat, actually, the cat butcher was run by a woman, but the butcheries just wouldn't hire the women. They're too frail. They got kids. There's bad things that are. It's just women didn't have the same opportunity, you know. Which is crazy because I feel like butchering an animal, like no matter how horrible that is, it can't be worse than sleeping with a man in the 1800s. <laughs> That's got to be the most disgusting thing that you would have to do i mean like i don't think any amount of money would get me to agree to that they don't have the same standards as we do though everyone was disgusting mm, yeah but like i just i i feel like i have this image of a man in like i don't know what year was it 1888 1888 okay so like yeah so that's like industrial revolution and shit so like not only is he like filthy and unbathed and his teeth are like fucking brown and shit, but he's covered in smog. It's a thick layer of smog. Yeah, that's one of the things he's, too. Just like he's humping you and like dust clouds are coming off of him. Yeah, if if they even had clothes. Some people are so poor they couldn't even afford clothing and shit. Like their kids be walking around, no shoes, no, just naked. Couldn't afford anything for Ugh. them. So just be a layer of disgusting and no one had showers you know what i mean you'd have to figure out a way to shower jump in the i guess ocean if you could make it there Ugh. did they still drink booze because they had no potable water yes and, and booze was very rapid there white travel was like probably the worst neighborhood in london at the time highest crime rate in the country fights and stabbings basically every day people were drunk beating their wives on the streets in front of everyone a common phrase yelled in Whitechapel at the time would be murder <laughs> like if you got beat up or something yeah it just murder and then that would be so people didn't even listen to like cries of murder that's how shitty of a place Damn. this was so maybe maybe like jack the ripper was an angel of mercy because he was just like you you're too good you shouldn't have to live in a time like this <laughs> somebody from the future who's then, just so disgusted with these people's poor lives is that what you're saying yeah he's just like i feel so sorry for you i'm just gonna quickly <laughs> remove your head yeah jack the ripper i maybe that, there's a theory one already on the table <laughs> an angel cool. of a, a, an angel helping <laughs> i'm just helping slice <laughs> <sighs> Yeah, it had the highest poverty and homelessness rate in London. I might get this part. I'm going to tell you this whole thing, actually. I'm going to probably get a lot of this fucked up. There's so much of this shit. I just did the best I could with what I can. So I'm trying to explain a couple things here. Maybe I'm wrong. Early 1800s, I guess the 1830s sometime, they like passed a law called the Poor Act in London. Why do I feel like that doesn't do anything good for poor people? <laughs> well, it was actually born out of like... Like there's lots of poor people. Let's try to help, I guess. But like, this is like a aristocratic version of helping. It's not like, I think they had the intention of helping, but it's not helping. You guys are douchebags. So what, what they would do is they made a, like a act where like, we'll give you these houses and clothes and food. We have to just come, you have to live in these workhouses and to get your food for the day and your whatever for the day, you would have to work it off. And like, there's a many different jobs. Slavery. That was their, yes. their solution to yeah. poverty was slavery. More like prison. Cause like you couldn't even, it's like, a, yes, slavery prison. Cause you didn't have to go, but then you just don't get a house. So it's not prison either. It's not really slavery. It's just like indentured servitude, I guess. Like it's bad. It's not good. And the jobs weren't fun either. It's not like they had like, <laughs> like dance offs. Like we're going to do dance today. Guy. Like it was, a oh, I bet, job. I bet they had some of that too. <laughs> I bet there was, well, they're slaves. They can do whatever they want with them 
dad's for me slave maybe you didn't get yeah. paid that day for that yeah exactly like i thank you for sewing all those shoes you can't afford today uh <laughs> now if there's just one more thing i could get you to do to work overtime unpaid of course uh you're a slave uh, if you could just uh have a dance off with john wellingsmith over here <laughs> maybe like and uh whoever does better gets the uh moldy bread tonight these guys would be fucking just pumped to get that job dude imagine that that would have the shit they had to do is like crush rocks make gravel you know uh like make a gravel yeah take a giant boulder and crush it down to gravel sized shit shit job yeah dude i would i would be begging for death i would be begging for jack the ripper to come for me yeah exactly that's one job i'm not even giving the worst ones yet there's uh untying they get all, all these old ropes from the ocean like from old ships and they'd have to like untie the ropes and apparently just rip your fucking fingers apart because you're just pulling on twine all day good news then though uh readily available rope to hang yourself with yeah exactly <laughs> I bet that was a highly sought after position in the uh, in the workhouse. <laughs> There's another one that I saw where one of the jobs was crushing bone to make fertilizer for like the the fields. So they'd be like literally crushing bone and they would feed them. So like they would get their food, but they'd still be hungry. They wouldn't get lots of food. So like some guys would love to take the bone crushing job so they can get the marrow out of the bones so they could go like suck a fucking hunk of marrow out of a bone that's been sitting there for weeks. That's how desperate hmm. they were. And, I want to be the bone crusher. And you know for sure that there was that wasn't all animal bones. There, there's people out there. I don't know how how much how true that is, but there are rumors that they were doing grave digging and like taking human bones. Yeah, I don't I don't need any any sources or proof. I know that there were people in that. All of this sounds like a really expensive store on Etsy. <laughs> like there's someone out there that does all of this shit for fun. Just the products they're making or the slavery too? <laughs> Honestly, yeah. Because I feel like there's probably some definite sweatshop fronts on Etsy. Mm-hmm. So, okay. So those are the workhouses. So you get basically like put into slavery, you know, and there are all sorts of different ones. And yeah, terrible fucking life. No, thanks. Uh, then there was these other things called boarding houses where you could like stay in a big room with a couple people. So you get like a couple families in one room. It would be probably like... 12 pence, just enough like to make it expensive. You, a normal person couldn't just go there. You'd have to have a pretty good job to get there. Not amazing job, but you go there. Then they have these DOS houses, which maybe I'm getting all this mixed up, but then there's a third tier of houses that like cost like very cheap. So like, here's an example. For one pence, you could come into that house and sit on a bench, but not sleep. You could just sit on the bench all night, no sleeping. Hmm. Okay. Another for two pence, I think it was, you could come and you sit on the bench and you can fall asleep, but only uh, over a rope. So they put a rope in front of you and you'd get to like sleep frontwards over the rope. So like if you had like two pence left to come and sleep for the night, you get that's they think like where the the term hangover comes from, you know, mm-hmm. I like that. sounds like a great value added service <laughs> Yeah, um, on a rope. But also like how I, like how do they police? Who is and isn't sleeping? They just wake them up. That's what I said. Well, that's that's how you earn money to sleep. You're policing the people to not okay, sleep. Okay, cool. All right, that's and that's where I was gonna go with it. Then I was trying to figure out like where the economy fits to have the waker upper job. If they're paying them, <laughs> are they? Is that worth the amount of money they're making on the rope? 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know how much I, I didn't get into the rope thing too much. I just thought it was funny. Uh, and then for four pence, you could get a bed, which was called a coffin bed. Basically it was in a room with like a shit ton of other people. And it was literally a coffin, a wooden box mm. you could sleep in. And it was, nobody cleaned the shit. There's bugs crawling around. There's fucking rats everywhere. And if you didn't pay that night, you're not coming back. Like every night you have to pay four pence. If you don't have your night, it's nightly. And you don't get to stay in the day either. You wake up in the morning, you get the fuck out. Hmm. Yeah, I would think that the uh, the coffin bed with the with the sanitary issues would definitely make the rope the the prime <laughs> menu item there. It's half the price, less the bug. Yeah. So how much did they make? How much did you make a day working? When you're at the workhouse? Uh, work- uh, bread. You made bread. You made your... When you were a at the workhouse, you got to sleep. They gave you food and you got clothing. Oh, but okay. Never mind. Gotcha. Follow on. So that's why like a lot of the women would turn to prostitution because like they had the workhouses, which they would let women work at the workhouses and kids uh, and men. They'd separate them all. Oh, though. nice. Yeah. They'd very be all, inclusive. Yeah. They'd be... <laughs> they're a very, very inclusive bunch, these old school Londoners. They'd be all separated though because they literally said like, we don't want you guys to get any hanky panky in there. There's enough poor people in this room. Okay. We don't need any more poor kids. Thank you very much. They were worried about people uncontrollably fucking the children. <laughs> no, they were. In, yes. No, they're worried. They're going to make more poor children. No more poor people. There's oh, you meant they guys. separated the women from the men and the kids thought, and the kids from the, the men kids. and the women. So they looked at the kids. Okay. Yeah. And they went, no, no, they got these kids are too hot. We got to remove them. <laughs> yeah. They're going to distract all the workers. It's the 1800s. Are you 13 yeah. yet? No. All right. Oh. Yeah. So and, and like I said, so the, the, the workhouses kind of sucked. The boarding houses were not good. They were cheap enough, but you, most people couldn't afford them. So the women would have to like turn trick at night to try and get a house, some a place to sleep sometimes. Uh, and like I said, some of these people like Haley Rubenhall said they probably weren't even prostitutes by the way they were described. So. I will try and make those distinctions as I go through the victims throughout this. How much money do you think you made sucking a filthy 1800 man's dick? <laughs> I, I think I was reading like uh, sucking a D probably be like one shill, one pence, four pence for a bang. So you could get out a bang and probably. Okay. Get... All right. So you get, you get two nights on the rope or one bed, one coffin bed. <laughs> yeah. One coffin bed. Yeah. That's not too bad. But I mean, at the uh, same I'll... time, most of these people are alcoholics. That's the reason they're down there. So it'd be, you'd have to make your booze first. You know, a lot of the time it's mm. three or four to get your actual sleep because otherwise you're just going to the bars. Everyone was hammered. Everyone was fighting. Mm. Everyone was stabbing each other. Everyone was robbing each other. It's a fucking shitty life. Dark yeah. night. There's no lamps everywhere. It's fucking well, darkness. It, how much did a bottle of booze cost? Nothing. Like a pence. Pence is like the lowest, like nothing. But you you couldn't just buy a bottle of booze. You'd be out of the taverns drinking at the bars. No, you couldn't just buy a bottle. I mean, like, what if you're an addict? You had to go to a fucking bar. Yeah, everyone. Bars were closed. That seems unfair. Everything else, obviously, above board, but that's the one. Unfair thing. <laughs> I'm just saying maybe you could if you were rich. I imagine a bottle of booze would be a lot, but uh, you couldn't get yeah. a bottle of booze in Whitechapel. I don't think you could buy. I think you're just buying the fucking swill at the tavern, you mm. know, like the, the mead or whatever. It's not like that. So what food. if what if I suck filthy, filthy old 1800s <laughs> man's dick and he's he's drunk. So I let him piss in my mouth to get me drunk to save the money. <laughs> That I would spend on booze. See, this is why you would never end up in a fucking workhouse because you'd be doing the work. You know what I mean? You'd be thrifty. Yeah, I'm. I'm gonna be like those. Those. Yeah, those Facebook hustlers, except in the 1800s. 
the workhouse right. hustler is so yeah. weird <laughs> weird reality show <laughs> just a bunch yeah. of toothless fucking children like i just wanted to yeah. be with my mommy and work smack so yeah there was also another thing that they called living hard which you guys could probably imagine what that means i'm sorry what was everything else oh yeah exactly this is not what living hard is to these people there's even a worse one which is called living hard, which is basically just sleeping in the dark fucking streets of the stabbiest place in London. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. There's not a lot of, uh, not a lot of options. So I just wanted to give you guys a little bit of a setting of the time we're in and the place we're in. A lot of the neighborhoods or streets that I, that I mentioned in this episode are all in Whitechapel. They're all in the Whitechapel district. Uh, they're all very close to each other. All the victims were killed by the Ripper within a one square mile of each other or square 1.6 kilometers of each other. <laughs> There are five murders that are considered canon, like I was saying earlier. Canon? What is this? The MCU? Yeah, exactly. That's what I was like. Ripper canon. There's, <laughs> uh, th- th- it's true though. That's the ones that all the people agree on. There's five of them that are from the Ripper. There are six more that are considered non canonical. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm ready for the Jack the Ripper lore. <laughs> but sometimes are attributed to Jack the Ripper in some fashion. I'm going to go, I'm going to tell you my opinions on those ones early on. I'm not going to go with the five until later when I get to the uh, suspects. I'll just tell you the ones that I think might be the Ripper, the ones that I don't think are the Ripper uh, with the six extra ones. Uh, They have a different timeline too. So if I I said September to November, 1880, actually there's a couple months, a couple murders that happened a couple months before and a couple murders that happened actually a couple of years after that are kind of lumped in with them. So I'm just going to briefly talk about those ones, but the five major murders, I'm definitely going to talk about a lot. I, when we were making fun of the whole Ripper lore, there is a whole group of true crime people that call themselves Ripperologists. I fucking believe it. It's all they do is study Jack the Ripper. There's like a Jack the Ripper magazine. I forgot it's called like Ripper Monthly or some shit that just Mm. goes out to these Ripperologists. Uh, it's a whole fucking business. Jack the Ripper has employed many a pen, many people over the years, even to this day. What, what do you think one of those murder victims would say if they could hear someone saying they were non-canonical? Yeah. <laughs> it was my brother, Jim. It wasn't even Jack the Ripper. Uh, also, another thing that's kind of fucked up about these non-canonical things or canonical ones even is like many women were murdered at the East End of London at the time. Plus, it's the 19th century. So it's hard to figure out what murders would have definitely been linked so even the five that are linked could possibly be not as well all they have now is looking at shitty evidence from police from back in the day shitty fucking media from back in the day and speculation and like new age technology that's not even really that good if you don't can't trust the evidence that's getting thrown through it like there's dna and shit like that but like who it's been 150 years who knows who's touched that fucking rag or whatever the fuck right that's why this is so fun I, I'm just ready to get, give her. So there's 11 murders called the Whitechapel murders at the time. Ripper didn't even get named right away. The first murder, if we're to consider the non-canonical murders to be lumped in with the Ripper, is earlier in 1888. April 3rd, Emma Elizabeth Smith was found murdered on Osborne Street, Whitechapel at approximately 1.30 a.m. She had been bludgeoned in the face and she had a huge cut on her ear. Also, a blunt object was inserted into her vagina, rupturing her peritoneum, which is like the lining of the inner wall of the abdominal cavity. Oh, my God. She was she clung to life uh, until later that day when she eventually died at London Hospital from complications from the peritoneum rupture. 
uh, in her few moments of lucidity before her eventual death. Wait, 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 yeah. wait, let me guess. Let me guess. She was like, oh my God, is this what a bed feels like? <laughs> they didn't give her a bed. She was poor. She laid on the floor and died out. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> uh, who knows if she got a bed? I'm just saying they probably didn't go like, put the dirty in the back. <laughs> <laughs> Don't let him touch my instruments. <laughs> In a few moments of lucidity before her eventual death, Smith told authorities that she'd been attacked by three men, one of them being a 19-year-old. Okay, that doesn't even sound like Jack the Ripper at all. It's three people who fucking gang-raped and murdered a lady. The media at the time, after the Ripper was a known identity, because it's not even in the, the sphere of anything yet, later attributes Smith's death to the Ripper. But most people today just attributed her death to massive amounts of gang violence in the East End due to the massive amount of homelessness and poverty. I don't even know why people even consider this anymore. Like literally she said it was three people. They didn't really give her the Ripper treatment. You'll see the Ripper treatment later, which is fucking scary. She just got murdered in a very brutal way. Worse, worse than that. Oh, fuck. Yeah. Way worse. Okay. <laughs> That's fucking right. child's play compared to Jack. The Ripper. So, so this lady, this lady had easy living by all accounts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she, uh, she only had her abdominal wall ruptured and probably even got to sleep on a rope. I'm not, I'm not discounting that hers. I'm not, I'm not saying, I'm not discounting what she got was horrible because it's fucking terrible. None of this, nobody deserves any of this. This is fucking absolutely trash. But for someone to go like, this was Jack the Ripper. Eh, maybe I doubt it. Maybe he had to like serial killers have like a escalation. Maybe that was his first kill. And he just like, I need more, you know, I don't know. The next murder that's non-canonical is uh, that of uh, Martha Tebram. Um, She was murdered in a staircase landing in George Yard on August 7th of 1888. She was stabbed a total of 39 times. The medical examiner found wounds on her throat, lungs, heart, liver, spleen, stomach, abdomen, breasts, and vagina. All the blows were from someone who was right-handed, and they were all made with a smaller blade, like a penknife. No motive was ever established for Tabron's murder and with the savagery of the act itself led the police at the time to believe this might have been committed by Jack the Ripper. Like I said, this is attributed to him after he's a known entity. Tabram's murder didn't follow the MO of Jack the Ripper, really. Uh, she was stabbed by a right-handed person. Jack the Ripper's a left-handed guy by most of the murders. How, how are they able to decipher that? I had a hard time understanding this too, but apparently... Being right-handed, if you're going to cut someone's throat from behind, you will grab and cut like that, right? If you're left-handed, you're going to cut like that. So you can figure out where the wounds, so you're going to cut from the left-hand side or the right-hand side. Okay. Yeah. It's just the way, the way the blade would have cut it. it, I guess it makes sense. I had to like, look at a video to understand. I was like, how did, okay, wait, what? But yes, it's just the way, if you come up from behind, you're going to slice someone's throat with, unless you're just uh, Ambi, like who says you have to cut, kill someone with your strong hand like what if you're using that to like hold something what if it was like from the front with the left hand but they did like a weird like ha move like they like i i agree that's what i'm saying like, how, how can you know for sure but i'm not a forensic scientist and people if they all say this shit is this so yeah richard could easily kill anyone with either hand. <laughs> there's a few things that weren't fall the mo of the jack the ripper uh the abdomen and throat slashes are considered part of the jack the ripper's mo she was like stabbed a bunch it wasn't like slashed open or cut and played with jack uses a long blade six six inches to eight inches uh, not a pen knife lefty not righty maybe this was jack even before he escalated first kill perhaps usually serial killer does a few practice kills before they figure out what they like maybe uh the later slot 
slash throats were an escalation. Like maybe Jack didn't have a killing knife yet. And it was only after he got like mm. a good killing knife that he was like, okay, cool. Now I didn't like that pen knife, but uh, I like this killing knife. Yeah. And they do, they do tell kids, you know, like try everything. So you know what you like. Exactly. And, and maybe he was like, cool. Every knife. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe his left hand was busy. That's the other thing I was saying earlier. Maybe he fucking was holding something with his strong hand and used his left. Who knows? Anyway, so that one's not considered canon. A couple seconds, we'll get into the first real canon victim of Jack the Ripper. Oh, good. I'm glad you're back from your shit. Thanks, Justin. Fucking stunk up the whole goddamn office. Why did you have to leave at the beginning of that? Well, you know, I got one of those bidets for Christmas, and I finally put it on my toilet seat. It's one of those retroactive-ass things, right? But it's cold water, and it comes out at like 1,200 PSI. So now every time I fart, I sound like a duck because it split my asshole in half. <laughs> Why did you bring that to our office, Justin? <laughs> did you give us a bidet? That is very nice of you. I thought I'd be the, the public asshole joining private dicks. Perfect. <laughs> Thanks, Justin, for being my only family besides grandma who talks to me. I love you, cuz. Word up, cuz. That right. rash ever go away? <laughs> Stop telling the guys about the rash. I told you. Hey, what? <laughs> family reunion. What can I say? <laughs> so the first confirmed Ripper victim was a 43-year-old lady named Marianne Nichols. She was murdered three weeks after Martha Tebran. So that's why people link them together a lot. Uh, she was a five foot two, 43 year old suspected sex worker with four of her front teeth missing. She went by the nickname Polly. I'm just going to call her Nichols because I've expressed my hate of this a lot in the show already. I don't like when people are using their nicknames like they're their buddies. Like, just call them by their fucking name. Polly and me. I mean, Polly got stabbed in the face. Dude, you didn't know Polly. I'm just going to call her Nichols. Uh, let's talk about her a little bit. Before getting married in 1864 to a guy named William Nichols, she was Marianne Walker. They had five children together. Marianne Nichols was married to William for 16 years before the pair separated. She accused him of cheating on her, and he said that she was a drunk, and he only cheated on her after Marianne had left him. So he didn't cheat. She's a drunk. Marianne moved out, and William paid her five shillings a week as spousal support. This was law. If you ever, your wife ever left you or you guys ever separated in the late 1800s, the church would enforce a law, the church enforced this, that you had to pay them uh, five shillings a week. That was the minimum. Could be even more. So just for reference, when I'm talking about pence and shit like that, one shilling is 12 pence. So like five shillings, if it's a four pence coffin and you get five shillings a week, it's pretty good math. If you're not a drunk, I'll see myself out. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that brings me to a question then, uh, knowing that math, Justin, what would you charge to, to suck a filthy 1800 man's dick? <laughs> Do I still have my four front teeth at this point? <laughs> no, probably not. Probably not. Well, that's as close as I've been to a toothbrush in a while. So I'd probably just give him a freebie. <laughs> wow. Okay. All right. So, that's the difference between a dirty cocksucker and a dirty cocksucker. <laughs> Commas are everything, man. Okay. Nichols lived in workhouses, public uh, lodgings, her father's house for a few months, and then the homes of her various lovers. She, not meeting her sex friends from getting paid. She would just like 
have boyfriends and just like stay there. She'd like latch on to dudes. A couple of years later in 1882, William stopped paying his spousal support because he claimed she was making a living as a lady of the night. Uh, spousal support didn't have to be paid if a person getting the spousal support was earning money in illicit ways. Haley Rubenhall said like she disputes that Nichols is a sex worker. There's no evidence except for the husband didn't want to pay his support payments anymore. Like that's the evidence people say, oh, she's a sex worker because he filed for divorce and didn't want to pay his spousal support. That's the only real evidence. The church, like I said, went to be the person like you have to, she went and told the church, like he's not paying me. If she was a lady like she was where she didn't really have a job and she was living in these public housings, society would just look at them like they were prostitutes. It doesn't matter if they're actually going out and doing like turning the tricks. So from what I gather, the church came to see William to make him pay his support because that's what they would do is send a priest to your house. But he convinced the priest that now his ex-wife abandoned him with his four children and was working as a sex worker. So she didn't have to pay the support anymore. He, she did leave the kids with him because she was a drunk. She was like a fucking addict, basically. She wasn't sucking dick. She was living off his five shill or his five shillings he gave her every two weeks or every week. She wasn't sucking. She wasn't sucking dick. She was just a fucking addict. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, they stopped paying. Uh, they said, "Sure, uh, that whore left you. She's definitely don't pay that." money so the church just agreed with them good job man that's cool they had like church cops to go and like <laughs> yeah exactly it's investigate right? this stuff it's because a marriage Maybe. is like a church contract right yeah so like they'd have to have somebody to enforce these church contracts and that's the fucking yeah. priest would come like i'm the basically the church irs let's do this what do you got that'd be cool yeah church church cop like somebody doesn't show up for church on sunday you like go and arrest them and then like <laughs> yeah. bring them there and then like then like another time you catch somebody diddling a small boy and you're like nope not happening <laughs> yeah that happens far too often you know? i mean the vatican uh, city definitely has its own police service so still church cops out there their country though uh, it's like the swiss guard or whatever they hire that's their army the Swiss yeah. Guard's like their army. They have like a police force, though. The Swiss mm. Guard has amazing outfits. I don't know if you guys have ever seen them. They're basically clowns. Like, you look like fucking clowns. Seen them in movies, yeah. So she was a fucking huge alcoholic, like I said. She lost a bunch of her kids because of her alcohol alcoholism. She lost a bunch of jobs. She lost her husband. She spent whatever money she had earned on drink. If she didn't have enough money, she would stay in the DOS houses. She would just earn it that night so maybe once in a blue moon she might go suck a d to get into a bed oh she uh she fancied some high rollers street toothpaste yeah <laughs> <laughs> damn lots of times nickels would just drink away or rent uh so yeah a lot of times she just lived on the streets too living hard yeah that's what they called it the night before a murder on august 30th 1888 nickels was seen walking along Whitechapel road around 11 p.m she visited her favorite bar to get wrecked, like every night named the Frying Pan Public House. She left early morning on August 31st at 12.30 a.m. and headed back to her lodging house. Uh, Nichols didn't have uh, enough money to pay for the night, and she was kicked out around 1.20. She didn't seem to care. Nichols was hammered, and she was more concerned about how nice her new black-rimmed bonnet looked. I have fancy new bonnet. Don't give a fuck about sleeping. I'm done getting hammered. Will this hat help me get nailed? <laughs> I can't imagine it looked very good when it was probably like covered in like smog and shit and cum. Brand like, new. That's what people said. It was like brand, brand new. That's why she's so happy with her brand new bonnet. It was brand new. So it didn't even have a chance to get fucked up yet. No. 
No way. No, as soon as no, you nothing, take it out, there's nothing was clean back then. I refuse to believe it. <laughs> Even the clean like, stuff was dirty. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. They're like, wow, you got most of the blood out. Oh boy. So she left around 2 30 a.m. Nichols was seen by her friend uh, from the lodging house, Emily Holland, barely able to walk down the street by herself. See? Uh, Nichols hammered. So uh, Holland got tried to convince Nichols to return to the lodging house with her. To which Nichols replied, I've had my lodging money three times today and I've spent it. I'll just go make some more. <laughs> Holland left Nichols and didn't seem concerned about getting her four pence for the room. Uh, and Holland left her on her way. This is the last time anyone saw Marianne Nichols alive. At 3.40 a.m., a cart driver named Charles Allen Lechmere, or Charles Cross, he, Lechmere was the name he was going by, uh, finds Marianne Nichols slumped over near a locked stable gate on Bucks Row. When Lechmere saw her corpse from a distance, he thought it was a tarp in the middle of the road, a lumped up chunk of tarp, tarpaulin. When Lechmere, when Le, uh, when Cross got close to the body, he saw that Nichols uh, it was a woman. He didn't really know what it was, so he took his whip because he was a cart. He was on his cart, and he like poked it. And he saw it was oh, a woman. Oh, man. I really Stuck. thought you were going to say he just whipped it. Like, because that would be so fucking funny. <laughs> that is that thing. <laughs> Out of my way. Oh, yeah. shit. That's a lady. Who knows? He could have whipped it and just said I poked it. Didn't want anyone to know. Poked it? It's fucking fla- it's flaccid, right? No, like, no. They have like a long stick. And oh, then there's the whip, I was right? thinking like, like an Indiana Jones bow whip. Yeah, that's got the knot on the end. You can give it the old. Gotcha. Gotcha. This is like a horse cart ride one, you know? They called it ye old tarp check. <laughs> yeah, tarp. <laughs> yeah, so he, he noticed that it was a woman and she's lying on her back with her eyes open. Her legs were straight and her skirt was raised above her knees. Her left hand was stretched out, touching the gate of a stable entrance. Her brand new bonnet, she was so proud to show off, was lying next to her near lifeless body. Oh, uh, I was hoping you were going to say turned out to actually be a piece of tarp (laughs) Uh, i bet you it wasn't clean or nice anymore as he was standing there over the body staring at the body another cart man named robert paul came passing by and noticed cross or lechmere whatever the fuck this guy's name is lechmere called paul over and they both walked toward the body even closer lechmere gave it a pap smear yeah this is kind of cross or lechmere whatever the fuck this guy's name is touched her face to see if she was dead or still warm to the touch paul said that he thought he, she was still unconscious she was just unconscious but they fucking knew she was dead they were just wishful thinking or telling the cops that they're fucking dead yeah right because you know how it happened he's just like oh what you doing cross he's like i think i found a dead body and he's like oh did you whip it yet <laughs> and they're like he's like yeah i whipped it twice it didn't move and Did like, you right, let's go did. look to you. are you Did sure you that's not a tarp it? are you sure that's not a tarp yeah, <laughs> yeah. Two more hey, let me try with my whip it's much harder <laughs> yeah so the two men spectating say they pulled her down her dress to preserve her dignity so before they went and ran away they said hey this girl if she's not dead i'm covering her puss <laughs> <laughs> Thank God they preserved her dignity. Yeah. Uh, The dignity she held so, so near and dear in life. Yeah. Then the pair went looking for a police officer. Uh, They they soon found a guy named PC Jonas Misen. PC stands for police constable. Paul and Cross or Lechmere, whatever the fuck that guy's name is, tell a police officer that they found someone either passed out or drunk on Bucks Row. PC Misen goes to check out the situation uh, while the other two just continue back to work. They said, okay, bye. PC Misen. (laughs) 
<laughs> gets there. And you and he... whipped it, you said. <laughs> yeah. And they're like, yes, we whipped it. Carry <laughs> mm. oh, on, carry on. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, so Mizen goes to check it out, but it's at fucking Bucks Road. It's super dark. You can't see shit. It's not like there's lamps everywhere. So he can't see anything. And then another, I guess, another police officer heard like the police whistle because they'd whistle for help and shit like that. So another guy named John Neal approaches from the street on the opposite direction and he had a lantern. They had close to the dead nickels. And a third guy, John Thane, who was randomly walking nearby, uh, shows up too. Constable Neal notices blood pooling around the neck uh, of Nichols and yells out to Thane, there's a woman with her throat cut. Run at once to Dr. Llewellyn. <laughs> oh, dear Lord, do you have a whip? <laughs> do you have a standard-sized bullwhip? All we have is these cot whips. and not doing the trick. <laughs> Someone help. <laughs> Give us a whip. So, yeah, PC Neal sticks around. Uh, Thane runs to go get the doctor, Dr. Llewellyn, which I find a great name for a doctor. It doesn't sound real. It sounds like a romance novel doctor. And then Dr. Llewellyn unbuttoned his shirt. <laughs> do, you, do you read those? Yes. Yes. And proceeded to administer the injection. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Nice for sure. Save that joke. Neil looks for blood, a blood trail. Uh, like this girl couldn't have been dead here, so find, doesn't find anything. Neil looks for wagon tracks leading to the body, didn't find any tracks of that nature. He looked for pecker tracks, yeah. Fuck, he didn't think of that. God damn it, this bonnet's got semen on it. <laughs> he just figured out that she must have been murdered right there. PC Thane comes back with Dr. Llewellyn at 4 a.m. The doctor examines the body at the scene, observing two deep knife wounds on Nichols' throat. Dr. Llewellyn pronounces her dead and he said that Nichols was killed within the last 30 minutes or so. There's a crowd gathering around this scene right now. So doctor says, get her to the mortuary. I'll do a better examination. So they get some fucking workhouse people to go pick up bodies and bring them to the mortuary for them. It wasn't like it was mm. like the police officers were like, I'll help. No, they're like, get the slaves. I mean, workhouse people. So they would bring them over. They get to the further examination. Llewellyn observed that Nichols had two slash wounds on her throat, like he previously thought at the crime scene. One slash was four inches, about an inch below the jaw, starting at the ear from the left to the right, indicating someone who was left-handed. The second slash was eight inches long, about an inch below the first wound, and was so deep it right, went right down to the vertebrae. That's a big gash. Yeah, that's a huge gash. Uh Llewellyn suggested the rules were made uh, by a long bladed knife. So whoever did this, like OJ the fuck out of this chick, they did find other wounds. Uh, Llewellyn was shocked, but there wasn't more blood at the scene uh, because I, I hate to interrupt, but did they yeah. ever look into the background of the guy that invented the Pez dispenser? Yeah, no, that I think that was a guy named Charles Allen Lechmere or cross or whatever the fuck his name is. Uh, <laughs> Dr. Llewellyn was shocked that there wasn't more blood at the scene, but attributed that to the fact that the other wounds must have made post-mortem less, like he must've, she must've bled out so fast that because of all the extra stab wounds that are coming, there should have been more blood. So her vagina had been stabbed twice. Let's just start there. Stab vagina, stab, stab. More than twice, according to her husband. <laughs> yeah. Get out of my house. You're drunk again. Uh, the lower part of her abdomen was partly ripped open by a deep jagged wound, causing her bowels to protrude. There were several other incisions inflicted on both sides of her abdomen that had been caused by the same long-bladed knife. No rhyme or reason to them, just a bunch of little stabs. Postmortem. All the wounds that were inflicted with a downward stabbing motion, except for the slash of the throat. Dr. Llewellyn also suggested that whoever did this must have had some anatomical knowledge, 
because there's no internal organs were harmed with the cuts. So he was just like avoiding stabbing internal organs. On and near Bucks Row was in a panic state after uh, Nichols' murder spread. People started to gather around Bucks Row, probably as a morbid curiosity. Police quickly interrogated any looky-loos and anyone who lived on Bucks Row or nearby Bucks Row. All the neighbors and bystanders were cleared as suspects after official inquest that went on after the next few days. The best that people like could be cleared, like police could only get so many people. It's like fucking shit tons of people just walking around homeless on the street. People in Whitechapel also just hated the cops. They're like the poor place. So like if you're ratting on people, they'd be like, you didn't want to talk to the police because you'd be fucking. It's like a little gangster's town. And if people got arrested in Whitechapel, it was someone you knew. The people in Whitechapel would like gather and throw bricks and steal and shit at the cops until they let the person go. <laughs> like it was that kind of neighborhood. That's pretty cool. I, I do wish we had a little bit of that right now. Whitechapel lives matter. <laughs> Yeah, dude, you know how awesome it would be if, like, cops, like, if all they had was, like, equal force to you? Oh, my God. They'd never be able to do anything. Yeah, this they actually had less force. It's the way it's supposed to be in my country. <laughs> <laughs> I say, there, there were only 600 police in the entire Whitechapel district. That's it. 78,000 oh. people population, 600. That's not lots. They're all foot patrol. It's not like now where they all have cop cars and shit. Right, you're just walking everywhere. <laughs> like, 600 people is not a lot. You divide that into four shifts for people to be like, that's 150 people on the street at all times per shift. That's not a lot. They're all eating them itty bitty little fucking hamburgers. That's what's weird. <laughs> that's a that's a White Castle joke. Sorry. Oh no no, we got it. I, I... Yeah yeah, I just <laughs> didn't didn't want you know treat some of my jokes are like a silent fart. If you don't let somebody know, they don't hear it. <laughs> These inquests I found were interesting too, because like if they couldn't solve anything right away, they just have like a weird police inquest into it the next couple of days, like a weird trial every time. Like every one of these murders has an inquest right after. Many people had been up in those early morning hours, but no one heard any screams or saw anything suspicious. So that's probably because people in Whitechapel didn't talk to cops. Um, so police started to interview just sex workers in that area, asking them if they knew anybody that could have committed these horrifying acts. Um, and then this is when the f- police first heard of a man nicknamed by the local streetwalkers as the Leather Apron. <laughs> That's the Jack the Ripper's original name, the Leather Apron. <laughs> it's a little bigger than a whip. Yeah. <laughs> According to some women that were interviewed, the Leather Apron was a man who had been terrorizing the local streetwalkers as of late. He would hold up the streetwalkers, beat the shit out of them, hold them up with knives, his fist. And then just steal all their money from the night. Like, fuck them. And then not pay them. Steal all their money. Douchebag. He was a known problem. It's not like it was anything new. Everyone knew about him. Obviously, the man wore a leather apron, hence the nickname. Nichols' friend, Emily Holland, and ex-husband, William, identified her at the mortuary. Since the murders of Smith, Tabram, and Nichols happened within five months of each other, and since all three murders that happened within 300 yards of each other, the media lumped them together right away. Most of the media suggested that there must be a gang killing women in Whitechapel, especially since Smith told the officers that she'd been attacked by three men. That's the gangbang, gangbang. The gangbang, the gangbanging gangbangers. Eesh. I don't like that. I don't like that at all. Actually, I hate that. <laughs> I just saw a fucking gang of dudes coming into my house just fucking me. All of them. The way I understood that was like a gang banging, gang bang. So it's like a gang of dudes who go around and like, rape dudes who participate in gang rape oh, right 
I it depends how you take that because I thought it was like gangbangers gangbanging people. No, 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 maybe it's just like like factions of of roving roving rapists, like they're like Mad Max. Little known historical <laughs> fact is Whitehall was the original charter chapter of the Fistfuckers Convention. <laughs> oh, Whitechapel cool. was, eh? Yeah, that's an interesting fact. I would have never known. And you know what? I'm part of the fisting committee of the world, FIW, Fisting International World. Is that like the Freemasons? <laughs> Except for way more secretive, and Justin might die for bringing <laughs> it up. <laughs> One of the papers, the Star, claimed it was a single killer on the loose, the Leather Apron. So I'm not sure there's like papers and shit that say Leather Apron on the loose. I'm not sure they found out about Leather Apron, but they were for sure running stories about him. Probably the same. They probably found out the same way the police were just talking to the sex workers on the street. Most of the Star articles, the first few days of the death of Nichols involved women recounting what had happened to them when they had run into the leather apron. The Star even went as far as reporting that he carried around knives and his job was a slipper maker, but never actually made slippers, just robbed women by knife point at night. Like stoking the fear because obviously it's going to sell papers. The Star also reported, and I quote on this one, his name nobody knows but all are united in a belief that he is a Jew or of Jewish parentage, his face being marked of a Hebrew type. Ooh, oh, there boy. it is. Oh, boy. <laughs> Found it, Rick. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was, that was the second, that was the second on the list of the ones that I didn't name. You were curious. So that one's on me. No, you tried, you tried real hard. You said all of the slurs. Uh, so, I think that you, you, good effort, man. Thanks. Whitechapel, White I, I don't think I mentioned this. I kind of mentioned it. Uh, Whitechapel was very anti-Semitic in the late 1800s. Uh, there'd been a huge migration of Jewish refugees into London in the early 1880s. Uh, they were running from persecution in Eastern Europe, and many of the refugees settled in Whitechapel. Uh, when the star started reporting that Leather Apron had a Jew face, the anti-Semitism got even worse during that first week of September. Graffiti started going up, blaming Jews for a lot of bad things, even though the Jews probably did nothing or could have. But I mean, it just turned it into a Jew thing instead of just like, there's a murderer. It's a Jew murderer. Like, oh, wow. Are we really playing both sides on that one? What do you mean? <laughs> well, there were, good, there were good people on both sides, right? Yeah. Even though the Jews <laughs> probably did nothing. They could have, but probably not. But maybe. <laughs> well, it could be a Jew. It could be anyone. My point is they were just saying it was a Jew. It could have been anyone. Nobody fucking knows who did it. I, well, I know. I just, I think sometimes the semantics of the way that comes out is a little. <laughs> don't be, don't be anti-semantic. <laughs> that too. Yeah, that's good advice. It turns out the lead detective just had a speech impediment. He said, it could be Jew. It could be Jew. It could be Jew. <laughs> the lead detective was fucking Dracula. <laughs> Somebody bled this bitch out. So yeah, after. <laughs> One stab wound. Ah, ah, it's the count. 39 stab wounds. <laughs> it's an actual puppet. And they're like, what? how did this guy get promoted? Fucking Muppet. When he lifts the tarp and does the special stabs, he's cut Dracula. <laughs> so yeah, oh. after after the, the leather apron started getting, after the, sorry, after the leather apron, the star started reporting a lot about the leather apron. Most media in the coming weeks would adopt the leather apron killer story. But I just, I want you guys to understand at this point, nobody actually knows anything. It's all fucking speculation by the media. It's pretty fucking crazy how much this got, like, the leather aprons coming to kill you. Like, wow. But funny enough, the, the, all, while all this is happening, the police already knew who the leather apron was. They had the identity of him. On September 7th, the police inspector, Joseph Nelson, stated in a report that, quote, 
The inquiry has revealed that the fact that a man named Jack Pizer, alias Leather Apron, has for some considerable period been in the habit of ill-using prostitutes in this and other parts of the metropolis, and careful search has been and is continued to be made to find this man in order that his movements may be accounted for. Although at present, there is no evidence whatsoever against him. Like, the police knew his name, but they couldn't find him. The reason for that, he knew his nickname was Leather Apron. And as soon as they started talking about Leather Apron being a suspect, like, uh, this is the last time anyone saw him. It was on September 2nd, a local sex worker run up to the patrolling police, pointing out a man she claimed to be the Leather Apron. So the officer came to ask the guy a few questions, and he bolts. The police chased him, but the potential leather apron escaped. Turns out this was Pizer, and after the foot chase with the officer, he went into hiding. Like, fuck this, I saw my name in the paper, cops are chasing me now, I'm out. While the massive hunt for Pizer is going on, on September 8th, a week after the murder of Nichols, the body of Annie Chapman is found near the steps to the doorway of the backyard of 29 Hanbury Street. Let's talk a little bit about Annie Chapman. Annie and her husband had divorced four years earlier after their 12-year-old died of meningitis. Annie and her husband had three children. The first was disabled and sent to live with the state. I saw somewhere that Annie actually had eight children and only three survived. So wait, but wait, what was the straw then when, when the fifth one died? How was that any different from... When they were babies, they died all the time. Four previous When times. they were kids back then, they died all the time. They were used to that. It was a 12-year-old. That's what got them. This yeah. kid made it past like the death years. Really? I feel like that was so normal just for that to dissolve a marriage in the 1800s. That's not what I, is, I, I was just trying to point out that's this. Like, I was trying to point out this. Mailman missed us on one Tuesday. We won't get our mail until Wednesday. That just feels of the same gravity as your 12-year-old <laughs> dying in 1880. Kai, I don't know about baby, but this isn't the reason they broke up, really. It's just what the excuses are. She had a drinking problem. This is why most of her fucking kids died. Excessive drinking was also how her relationship deteriorated. Her husband kicked her out of their home. Allegedly. Not allegedly. He legitimately... Yeah. He was a drunk, too, though. That's the funny thing. But since she was a woman... How drunk, did her drinking kill her kids? Drinking while they're pregnant. She's... Oh, okay. I was just picturing like them being so sad that their mom was drinking <laughs> that they killed themselves. That's a fair point too. Maybe, maybe they all just like started drinking because yeah. mom didn't like didn't know how to. No, no they, yeah. for they went to church and got cornholed by a priest and died of sea meningitis. Oh <laughs> <laughs> my god, <laughs> the, the road we traveled to get there. I've never heard cornhole be used as an adverb. That's a very interesting. So I come from a previous generation where cornhole was an activity and a gangbang meant a good time had by everybody. Uh, nice. Oh, I love playing cornhole. <laughs> Which a lot one? of people a lot of people do. <laughs> that is isolated. That is isolated. I'm just saying. Uh, <laughs> that will be isolated <laughs> and that will be my ringtone for the next little bit. Rick said he likes the cornhole again. Mm, all right. Annie moved to London to make money what she would do to make money after she broke up she got her, her spousal support too okay uh, then she went to make money in london selling a crocheting and selling plastic like paper flowers that she would make she was selling crotch they misspelled it yeah crotcheting yeah shaman moved to london she was in a similar situation as nichols like just down fucking on her luck still working still getting a little bit of money not enough to fucking do sex work i don't think but maybe her husband, who was a private coachman, was giving her spousal support, and she was living day by day at various lodging houses. So, in 1886, her husband died, her ex-husband died, and couldn't provide the spousal support anymore. 
So Chapman was 45 years old at this time. She had honest work, but without the 10 shillings, she got double. She got 10 shillings a week. Her ex-husband gave her month, or sorry, it was 10 shillings a month. Uh, she had abandoned her cro crochet and flower selling to get into a more stable and therefore more, more lucrative line of work, sex work. And this is how the old story goes. But Ruben Hole disputes this claiming that Chapman was too sick to have been out in the streets and was simply begging for money, which I kind of agree with. Crocheting and flowers. That's crotch and bloomers. That's code words. <laughs> These are these are dog whistles for poon hounds in, in Jolly Old England. Yeah, she sells flowers. Okay, it does it does feel like a little bit of a stretch to say, like I mean because we are we are arguing like whether or not they were pro which I understand like calling them prostitutes versus sex workers or whatever but then also even labeling them that way versus them just being somebody who may have done that. It feels like this lady dedicated all of her time to exonerating these women of selling their bodies for money, which it also seems like back then wasn't necessarily the moral quandary that it is today. Because I feel like it's no longer a moral quandary, though. We've kind of yeah, gone, no, we've gone like full around. circle, which is nice. But like, Just, I'm not uh, saying the actual intent of this actually because she actually does address that what she is trying to do with this with her book the five was talk about the actual victims because a lot of the times jack the ripper kill 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 who's jack the ripper so no one ever actually talks yeah. about oh, yeah, who yeah. the victims were and then jack the ripper becomes this like dracula figure or like a spooky monster when in reality he was just a fucking sick psycho who killed actual people no one associates the people anymore we all think about jack the ripper being the scary right. monster so she's trying right. to take and then that just back calling them prostitutes and writing it off i get it well, it's okay. difference if they're poor if they're prostitutes eh, well back then it sounded like it was the same thing a lot of yeah. it a lot of it was it's, and it's a lived, matter of perspective they lived a lot of the same type of life a prostitute and a, just a poor homeless old lady you yeah. know what i mean they all would have been the same kind of like right try and right, find my right. four shillings for tonight or my four pence for tonight you know try and find my four pence so i can sleep my fucking coffin well but you can do you can just do two and you get the rope which again we agreed with the best value so that's that's no i i think it's just it just boils down to a matter of perspective i mean some people see a beautiful flower and some people just see a bulldog eating mayonnaise fuck that might be grosser than any of the murders you described later richard <laughs> hold the video in the hot dog this oh, does this yeah. mean i'm not invited next time <laughs> now you're here for both be gross please she didn't really put a big crusade on like making them not prostitutes, just actually giving them a name and saying, this is their life. They weren't actually fucking some of them were anyways. That's just the, I kind of, I, I haven't read the book. I'm not going to lie. I just fucking read a bunch about it. Um, so I could be completely wrong, but I mean, there's lots, there's so much to this. It's unreal. Nobody had TV. Nobody knew how to read. Everybody was fucking. Yeah. To a mm -hmm. point, but I mean, that's usually a good bet. If you had money. You were riding around on a horse playing polo or you're doing something else. If you're just poor as fuck, that's what you're doing for sure. Oh, they were still fucking. Oh, yeah, who do you think just... was who was fucking the poor prostitutes? People with money. The guys who worked in the butcher shop, like on their way home to their wife. That's who was fucking the prostitutes. Oh, damn. So, okay, hold on. Body odor and slime, smog, dirt, and blood? Fuck, dude. Like, we just keep adding layers of filth on. So then what? They would just like throw some gabagool at her and be like, ah, oh, this is enough? Or he says, oh, this feels awful. <laughs> Get it? O-F-F-A-L. Oh, dear Lord. <laughs> Anyways, so Ruben Holt claims that uh, 
Chapman was just sick. And it's true because Chapman was 47 years old when she was found dead. And when they did the autopsy on her, they said that her lungs and her brain were so deteriorated that she either had tuberculosis or syphilis. So that goddamn consumption, Poe killed her. That was my theory right there. Edgar Allan Poe, any consumption, deaths, Edgar Allan Poe. I, uh, I refuse to believe that because he wouldn't be caught dead with a woman over the age of 13. That's true. <laughs> that's that 34 years over his prime, pal. All right. That's true. Ed, Edgar Allan Potophile. <laughs> we all know that. Uh, the day before Chapman's murder, she had just been discharged from the casual ward of the Whitechapel Infirmary, complaining to her friends that she was too sick to do anything. The casual ward? The casual ward of the Whitechapel Infirmary. Yeah, it's like what the f- I've never heard casual. The intense. Ward. There's the would be like emergency room or like a casual ward, like the place where you would go. That's not an emergency. Oh, I thought it was just where you don't tie the back of your gown. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's, no, it's when you had it's when you had uh, casual 1800s wounds, like your jaw hanging off or <laughs> missing all of your arms and legs. I got consumption or something else. I don't. (laughs) All right. That's just casual shit. Go in the back. Yeah. She, you want to hear this is a great story. So she was in the infirmary because she'd gotten in a fight with another woman over a bar of soap and got her ass kicked for said soap. (laughs) Uh, You know what? Good for her because I doubt she, she was probably among the 0.1% of people actually fighting to use soap. Yeah, it's true. So. so she, it was probably worth fighting over. Actually, now that you say that, you just were like, I got to suck a dick later. I need soap. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Uh, although I don't think she was yeah. sucking any bees. So she was so hurt and sick that the doctor actually prescribed her some pain pills to manage the pain. On the night of her death, early September 8th, uh, she left the boarding house at around 1 a.m. She had been drinking earlier in the night and she had been begging the manager to hold her room. She was like in there like, dude, just hold my room. I'll get this the fucking money. And he's like, you have money for drink, not for a bed, huh? No fucking way. Get out. So and so she turned tables on him and said, hold my womb. <laughs> maybe, he, maybe he's <laughs> like, oh, let me hold your womb. I don't know. Chapman told the manager that she'd be right back with the money. Just don't give away my bed. So he went, whatever. And then she left. As she was leaving, Chapman found an old envelope, tore off the end of it, and brought it, some of her pain pills with her in the corner of the envelope, and then sent out into the night. Chapman was later seen by a woman named Elizabeth Long. Long saw Chapman with a man outside 29 Hanbury Street, who Long heard him ask Chapman, will you? To which she replied, yes. Long described a man as over 40 and a little taller than Chapman with dark hair and foreign shabby genteel appearance. So he had a fucking Jew face. I'm trying to say the Jew thing again. Foreign, if you hear me say foreign, that just is the white chapel people just trying to say Jew. <laughs> like Jewish. Like they look like a Jew. Like anyways, the racism. Chapman was uh, supposedly heard not seen at 545 by a guy named Adam Kadosh. Kadosh lived next door at 27 Hanbury to where the body was found. He walked into his backyard in the early morning at 545 to take a shit in the outhouse and pass by the fence that separated their properties. Kadosh heard low talking, but all he could hear and make out the woman say was no. And then something fell up against the fence and he didn't think of anything of it and went and take a shit. At about 6 a.m., Annie Chapman was found dead by John Davis, an elderly resident of 29 Hanbury who lived there with his wife and kids. He was also leaving his house to take his morning shit and came upon the grisly scene. 
He calls out to three men, James Kent, James Green, and Henry Holland, to the street, telling them to find the police. They quickly ran to the divisional inspector, Joseph Lunas Chandler, calling out, Another woman has been murdered! Get your whips! And look at the size of this shit! Nichols' murder was still fresh on everyone's mind. Inspector Chandler runs to inspect the body and calls for more help. Police surgeons Dr. George Bagster Phillips and a few more officers arrive within minutes. Dr. Phillips declares Chapman dead at the scene. Chapman laid their dead left arm over her left breast. Her legs were spread out with her feet flat on the ground, knees outward. She had her dress pulled up and a bloody handkerchief covering her neck. A lot of people say that she was wearing that like as a fashion thing. It's not like the Ripper put like a handkerchief around her neck. Her face was swollen and had a bruising as if someone had held her face forcefully. Dr. Phillips quickly linked the murder of Nichols and Chapman as they had many of the same characteristics. Like Nichols, Chapman had two parallel throat slash spine wounds that were cut left to right, indicating someone was left-handed again. Uh, Her head was barely hanging on. Uh, This is probably where the face bruising came from. Someone was holding her chin while slitting her throat. In the official report, the wounds must have been done by a rather sharp, long, thin blade like Nichols. Her abdomen had been mutilated, not exactly like Nichols, but similar. Unlike Nichols, Chapman's intestines had been lifted out of the body and placed above the right shoulder of Chapman's corpse. Over the left part of Chapman was her stomach. Her other organs were still intact and relatively avoided. Her pelvic area was cut open. Her uterus, uterus, her uterus and its appendages. I know I, I got to say it right. Her uterus and its appendages, as well as the upper portion of the vagina and the posterior part of the bladder, had been entirely removed. Can I use the name uterus appendages? Never mind. Side note: the uterus, vag, and bladder have never been recovered ever. This, like Nichols, also indicated that the killer had some anatomical knowledge. Without the anatomical knowledge of some sort, this would have taken someone an hour uh, at least. And we know that the murder happened between 15 minutes prior to her body being found. So, wow. I don't, you know what? In all these serial killer things and all these mutilation murders you hear about, they always say somebody has an anatomical knowledge. I just think that's fucking stupid. All these people back then were like, gutting fishes and killing animals and slaughtering pigs and everybody knows where the poo hole is and the pee hole is and where the lungs are i just i, I don't buy that uh, as well some unless kind you're of richard qualifier. and then you don't you don't know what a uterus is because you just thought it was a uterus uterus then you don't know hey are you uterus can i uterus i don't i honestly i don't think that's the problem of people not knowing anatomy it's the time it took to get out a uterus without damaging anything else yes it's easy it to pretty efficient it's easy to understand where the stuff is but to get everything out precisely like that in such a short frame of time and it's fucking dark think about how dark and fucking dank it is i mean he had a puddle of guts hanging over her left shoulder like a bagpipe that doesn't yeah. sound precise and and i would be like uh more so impressive if he did that and then she lived but he wasn't really like concerned <laughs> with how well she was gonna do or recover from the procedure. So not really necessarily someone who knows their shit. I, you got there's it. Okay. We'll, we'll talk about it more later with the other murders, but like these ones, the first couple, it, it looks like more precision and is done. And later it just gets crazy. So like you guys might be right. I'm, I'm mostly joking. 15 is really impressive. And 
that that was disgusting though well and what's crazy is i've got a dog with an iq of five that can dissect a couch in five <laughs> yeah minutes. that's true i got a dog that can fucking mm-hmm. rip up some shit too it was hard to figure out and that's the other thing 15 minutes might be a stretch too because it was hard to figure out the time of death on chapman because their insides were outside and the only way they could determine time of death on people back then was body heat like how hot they were and if you're spread out over a big distance you're going to cool down a lot quicker right so that that's what made it hard. The doctor even said, like, I, this is an exact science. I don't fucking know. It's this is what I think. But it could have been a lot longer of a time, like maybe a half hour to a little bit longer just because of the coolness of her body. Yeah, I understand the concept of like the the body temperature thing. But I really did want to just like for a minute, like <laughs> pretend like they were just like super shallow and it was based on how hot they were. Like, <laughs> Like, oh my god she's so hot like she must have died so quick <laughs> if it was if it was if it's truly just based off of temperature in the 80 in 1880s and it rains a shit ton in london and obviously water conducts heat better than air i mean like how the there's so many things that they've taken into account into account and it sounds like they weren't even brushing their teeth i don't know if i really believe all of this well this is the doctor i don't know if the fact yeah i don't i don't put it this way even the doctor says it's not exact science he gave it like 15 20 minutes max but i mean it could be more it could be less who the fuck knows really honestly i'm just saying that. that's all i I agree it could be it could be amount of time were we still measuring time by the travel of the sun no they had had watches and shit (laughs) i think time was something to do with leeches Right, yeah, exactly. They use leeches a lot back then. Put a leech on your car. I think everybody just wanted part of the excitement. So every time they'd show up on scene, they'd be like, oh, He was just here. It could be. Yeah. Well, I go with that. <laughs> yeah. I, well, I think, like, and, all, and this is all in, in all sincerity, like, as far as I know, like, they still have like a really hard time with time and death stuff. Yep. Like, if it's been so long, it's like no shot. Even at, today, like, it's hard for sure. Even today, yeah, it's outrageously yeah. hard. But like within uh, the sh- the longer it takes, the longer time someone's been dead, the harder it is to pinpoint a time of death now, right? Right. Because right. uh, whatever bacteria and shit starts to grow at a certain time, and other like oh, right. sets can... in a certain amount of time. Fucking weirdos that study bugs, and they figure yeah, it out. Yeah, with the, the larva, that's <laughs> like our larva. our previous guest's wife. That's true. Oh, I apologize to your previous guest's wife. <laughs> He studies, uh, she, her, she, start, she she studies raping fucking, raping, yeah. raping spiders yeah yeah raping which is the most metal shit i've ever heard i love that raping spiders yeah spiders yeah spiders that rape each other fuck yeah it. fuck those spiders <laughs> i'm taking a step well i mean not, honestly at least they limit it to each other can you imagine a spider that rapes also well, like I, I used i used to find a spider attractive now i just think they're disgusting <laughs> yeah so i my I'm, only spiders allowed in this house Respect consent, motherfucker. All right. <laughs> On average, you get mouthfucked by a spider 13 times a year. So I don't know what the Dude, fuck Dude, I don't even want to fucking hear that right now. Do you understand that we do have an actual spider problem in my house right now? We've been waking up with like the occasional bite. So here's what you do. You find the biggest, baddest spider. You pick it up and fuck it. And this, hey, who's next? Ooh, okay. So like prison rules. Got it. I was going to say, you. I think there's a thorax in your teeth. Chapman cool, had thanks. other, uh, there was other differences. I hope, hope you get beard lice. I have beard lice. <laughs> <laughs> Joke's on you. <laughs> I, am, I already have an infestation. Wait till you talk about his gooch sound, Andrew. Now, unlike, <laughs> unlike the Nichols crime scene, Chapman's crime scene, there was blood everywhere. Some spurts were like 18 inches up into the air on the fucking 
all over the place, on the fence, everywhere. Her face and hands were covered in blood, indicating she must have fought back. There was also like blood matted in her hair, mud matted in her hair. The fact that Dr. Phillips was saying that the killer probably had anatomical knowledge, the media heard this and they ran with it. So doctors were scary ass fucking people back in the 1880s. They weren't looked at like professionals they are now. They were looked at like fucking like like weirdo creeps who like to poke around with dead bodies. You know what I mean? Like grave robbers and shit like that. So if a doctor did this, it wouldn't be surprising to the average Londoner. And it would be like a sensational story. Papers ran with that. Annie's crime scene, other than the blood spritz and all that stuff, to by today's standards, there's lots of clues. By their standards of those days, not lots of clues. They did find a leather apron, a soaked leather apron nearby under a tap. Immediately, they, they thought the leather aprons added again. But the apron belonged to a neighborhood boy, and it was outside drying after his mom washed it for him. So they, they were they, a leather apron. It must be him. Like, hold up. Hold the fucking phone. What's a teenage kid or a little boy doing with a leather apron? Murder, uh, murdering. Uh, <laughs> he's butchering. <laughs> they, but all the kids were put to work back in those days. Those those kids. <laughs> all the kids oh, are doing it. Anatomical knowledge. Mm. True. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Mm. He's bu- killing. I mean, butchering. I mean, slaughterhousing. I mean, yeah, sewing. That, that little that little fucker killed that whore. Was he was he a slave though? Because the slaves. No, they. they it's not like house. he chose that life. There, this was like a. Uh, this was a working class neighborhood. This this was a working class neighborhood. There were people that just lived in the houses. It's just a shitty place to live because hookers were, were bringing guy, Johns back behind your backyard and fucking like, you know what I mean? Like, that's the kind of neighborhood you lived in, like RJ's neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know shit about my neighborhood, except all of the horrible things that happened that I've told you. <laughs> the police were gathering around Annie's body and a gigantic crowd formed outside the crime scene just to get a look at the corpse. There were so many people that people who lived in the neighborhood were charging two pence to let people get a view of the corpse being wheeled out. Do you just want to hear the song I wrote? I, I don't know. Two pence to look on me fence. Bring pesh to stare at the gash. <laughs> That's extra. It's like a, it's not even really a song. It's like a call. Yeah, it's like a, it's like a nice little poem. Yeah. Well, now if we had RJ's mic cut back in and out again and he started jumping in. Yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah. All right. So almost immediately the next day or late that night, the search for the leather apron heated up. And two days later on September 10th, the police finally apprehend John Pizer or Jack Pizer, AKA the leather apron. He denies murdering the two ladies. And, but he does admit to knowing his nickname and his reputation about holding up street workers was true. He didn't kill anyone, though. He says, I'm sure I beat the shit out of them and take all their money, but I haven't killed them. I'm not an asshole. They hold him overnight. But the next day, the police let Pizer go because his alibi checked out and the police couldn't prove that he had anything to do with these murders at all. And he had a vaccine to invent. And I guess they searched his house. They didn't find any extra vagina or uterus anywhere. So they said, OK, you're good to go. He actually got very upset afterwards after they cleared him because his name was rubbed through the papers and he actually sued the police and he won i don't know how much he won but he definitely sued them his name was rubbed through the papers yeah let's ponder that run run through the papers i say rubbed run whatever you said rubbed did i whatever either way right right after you said that he didn't have any extra vagina Mm. okay here's my question though is it hard to hide your extra vagina yeah Yes, if you stole one from a lady, I imagine it would be pretty hard. I really don't think it's like that story of the dude not far from me who just had buckets of skin in his basement for the longest time. Can you open that door behind you again? Because now I'm getting a little worried again. I want to know what's back there again. <laughs> 
A chest freezer <laughs> full of vaginas. What do you think? I'm just I'm just saying, I really feel like it probably isn't that hard to hide a couple human body parts if you know that the police are coming. I love that he ignores all of the, the feedback on the things he's saying and just triples down. <laughs> we're like, we're like, gee, Rick, you sound a little bit like a serial killer. And he's like, I'm just saying that it's really not difficult to, you know, find someone, track them down, murder them, hide them in your crawl space that's behind you when you record a podcast it can't be that difficult no i just okay let's say let's uh, what what's the size of human anatomy let's say you just have like a pound of weed you don't think you can fucking hide it yeah sure i mean and you're right that's probably equitable one vagina to one pound of weed yeah those are the same. i don't know i don't know the ratios no no i like i like that one you know i'm not an expert in human anatomy i don't i don't cut it out i just buy buckets of it and keep it in my basement <laughs> That's a good exoneration at the end. Got it. <laughs> the police briefly suspected another man named Edward Stanley, but he's quickly eliminated. Stanley was staying at the same boarding house as Chapman, and the old envelope that Chapman tore the end off to make a makeshift pill bottle had belonged to him. So they thought, oh, he dropped pills beside her body, but it was just her thing. Yeah, he dropped the pills inside her thing. Yeah, inside, inside of her envelope. That sounds dirty, too. Don't. <laughs> 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 RJ, RJ just snaps back. The police suspected another guy named Walter Piggott, who had uh, a suspicious cut on his hand. Oh, it was definitely him. Do you hear that fucking name? Walter Piggott? Piggott? According to the lady that turned him in. That motherfucker did it. Yeah, according to the lady that turned him in, she, you're right. Uh, Piggott had blood all over himself the night of Chapman's murder. Piggott explained to the police that he was helping a woman having a seizure on the street that night, and she bit his hand down and it drew blood. That alibi checked out and Piggott was set free. Wait, 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 wait. On the same night that this woman got her organs cut out, somebody else was just randomly having a seizure. He helped save her and that all checked out? Yes. Hold on. We know the pure chaos that they, these people were living in. There were probably 350 people having seizures at the same time with another 14 murders happening concurrently. Seizures happen that often, you don't help people with them. It's like a broken down car. If you see one on the side of the road, you keep driving. The fact that you said broken down car proves the reason that they probably helped because they didn't even know what a car was. No, but they knew what a seizure was enough to enough to put your enough to put your hand close enough to her mouth. They didn't know what that was. They didn't know what they're. This guy, these people aren't smart. That's probably the first time I ever saw. Oh, this lady's shaking on the ground. It's like a vibrator for me. Let me get in there. Oh, she bit me. I better leave her alone. He's you know what happens if somebody throws a seizure in your bathtub? It's a good time to do some laundry. <laughs> All right. The one-liners oh, just never end. Back then. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, so that's that checked out. So I don't know what to say. Like, the lady who had the seizure said... Listen, I'm just saying, the perfect person to know the human anatomy to cut out organs is the same person that knows how to stop a seizure. All, all I'm saying. If somebody's having a seizure, I'm not jumping in because I don't know what the fuck to do. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I like, I know, like, to put like a belt in their mouth or something, but that's usually my solution for every conflict I see on the street. So. <laughs> but that's not even that. It's like if people are having seizures, they think that they don't need a doctor. They need like a priest to exercise the demon. That's the, you know what I mean? It wouldn't be like what you think it is now. They're like, this person's been, the devil put this sickness in them. It's not, it's not sophisticated like now. They're still leeching people for fuck's sake. I mean, to be fair, you have RJ, upstate New York, London in the 1800s. It's really not that far off. <laughs> no. Oh, yeah. We, we, we live pretty horribly up here. 
All right. So for the next yeah. couple of weeks, the police are running down leads. They interview many people and get nowhere doing it. W.T. Steed, editor at the Pall Mall Gazette, published an article in a magazine that first suggested the killer could have been someone from the aristocratic class. And when he published this, the rich people fucking loved that they were suggested as one of their their own could have been the one murdering the the whores on Whitechapel. They fucking love the naughtiness of it. Who is the guy? They would all, it was part of all, it got huge real quick with the aristocrats because of this. Uh, the, the little guys love that too, because it's obviously the fucking rich people doing this. So, so these papers sold a shit ton. Have you, have you guys ever seen the movie, The Hunt? Is that the one where they pretend they're in like, yes. the, that's a new Netflix, newish Netflix thing where the girl actually. No, no, it's uh it was like, a, it was a theatrical movie, but then they got it canceled out of theaters for com- completely the wrong reasons nobody understood what it was uh it's incredible it's where like a bunch of like people online you know like they do like the whole like conspiracy shit they talk about the elite getting together on a compound and hunting like regular ass like poor people and shit That's what I'm talking about, yeah. so then they oh it's, i don't know if it's on netflix it, is, it might yeah. be but it's not like a netflix movie they uh and then these people get all get canceled because of it and they're like you know what fuck it let's do it and uh, what ensues is one of the most hysterical fucking movies I've ever seen in my life. Like, oh, it's great. I have watched good. it multiple times. It's great. Yeah, yeah. I kind of, I kind of would like a nice like rich v poor type yearly Super Bowl thing. I think that would be. Oh yeah, that would be pretty. So dope. you want to do the purge? Yeah. Yeah, but but like in a contained way. You know what I mean? Like not in like the streets are anarchy. Just like this one like slice of New Hampshire is anarchy for for one night. And you have to be like drafted to it. You have to be drafted. No weapons, to yeah. no, weapons no protection, yeah. no prepping. It's you get drafted, you go into a room. I'm, I'm in if I can bet on Barstool. Like all of your, all of the resources you can gather. So the rich people are at a naturally unfair advantage. But they then, don't like, have anatomical knowledge. That, exactly. <laughs> no, but you just give them a Walmart. They Not get like a Walmart. Those. So whatever's in the Walmart, anybody can use. Just throw them in a Walmart. I like this idea. Well, that's that's an unfair advantage for poor people. Do you understand what our kind is able to to create from what you can get in a Walmart? We can find the stuff. They could have, they could have drones, and it would <laughs> it wouldn't match like a frying pan golf club. <laughs> anyway, sorry, that's all it made me think. That's of. okay. Steed made this whole shit up because he was actually well, I shouldn't say made it up. He was like investigating it's funny that you bring this up he a year earlier or so he was investigating the aristocratic class for having like a child sex ring. And uh, he was exposing them in the newspapers. Really do just go in circles as a society, don't yeah, we? Yeah, we do. Yeah, yeah. Fuck. On September 27th, a couple weeks after the murder, a letter shows up at the Central News Agency in London. This letter back then was believed to be a first correspondence with the Ripper. Uh, modern Ripperologists think this and the other letters I'll mention in a bit weren't written by the real killer at all. Uh, it was the letter that came in was dated September 25th. And after reading it, much discussion amongst the media, the letter made its way to Scotland Yard on the 29th. Should we publish this or should we give it to the police? Uh, they actually didn't publish it, which is shocking, but they br- they actually brought it to the police. The discussion wasn't whether they should give it to the police because it was such a good scoop. The discussion was whether to take it seriously or not. That's the only reason. They didn't take it seriously. Otherwise, if they would have taken it seriously at first, they would have probably printed it. But they're like, ah, eh, fuck it. This isn't really that serious. And this is how the letter goes. I'll read it to you. Uh, this called it's referred to now as the dear boss letter so dear boss i keep on hearing the police have caught me but they won't fix me just yet 
I have laughed when they look so clever and talk about being on the right track. That joke about Leather Apron gave me real fits. I am down on whores and I shan't quit ripping them until I do get buckled. Grand work the last job was. I gave the lady no time to squeal. How can they catch me now? I love my work and want to start again. You will soon hear of me with my funny little games. I have saved some of the proper red stuff in a ginger beer bottle over the last job to write with, but it went thick like glue and I can't use it. Red ink is fit enough, I hope. Ha ha! The next job I sh- He put ha ha in there like it's a text message. I love that. The next job I do, I shall clip the lady's ears off and send it to the police officers just for jolly, wouldn't you? Keep this letter back till I do a bit more work and then give it out straight. My knife's so nice and sharp, I want to get good work right away if I get a chance. Good luck, yours truly, Jack the Ripper. Don't mind me giving the trade name. P.S. Wasn't good enough to post this before, but I got all the red ink off my hands. Curse it. No luck yet. They say I'm a doctor now. Ha ha! Another ha ha at the end. He gave himself the name Jack the Ripper, or the whoever wrote this letter gave him the name Jack the Ripper. The next day, September 30th happens. Uh, this is a big day for the Ripper. Jack kills two people this night, both within a half hour of each other. Uh, they call this night the double event. The first that night is the third canonical. It's a lady named Elizabeth Stride, or as she was called by her friends, Long Liz. Now, I don't like to use the nicknames. I already said this, but Long Liz I'm using because they gave her the nickname Long Liz. One of two reasons. First reasons, either she is, her last name was Stride. So they thought it was funny to call her Long Stride, you know, or second reason she was five foot five and she was the tallest woman in all the land. So she's Long Liz. Uh, so I like Long Liz, so I might call her Long Liz a bunch. She can hang all the Christmas lights. She can reach the top of the tree. Almost six foot, Daddy. Long Lizzie was a Swede, born in a small rural town of Torslanda, Sweden, in 1843 as Elizabeth Gustav's daughter. Yeah, with a D-O-T-T. That's right. She was the second of four farm children, meaning their parents were farmers and had, no, had kids to be helpers on the farm. She did servant work and sex work for her early life, unlike the other two killed, who apparently started sex work later in life. Yeah, and uh, her kids were known with the surname Jizlobber. Jizlobber, Jizlobber, Gustav Slobber, Gustav Stodder? <laughs> Cock, cockle Slobber. <laughs> her first charge of prostitution is in 1865 at the age of 22. When she was 23 in 1866, she moved to London to for either work or one of those, I came to visit family, loved it so much I stayed kind of situations. It's not really clear. Over the next few years, she learns English and Yiddish. Uh, in 1869, Lizzie marries a guy 22 years older than her named Thomas Stride. They never had any kids, but what they did have was a coffee shop in East London. Stride was still a carpenter, but this was what they did together. They He carpentered during the day and they, she sold coffee in the day. And I know the Strides wanted to have kids, but the only time Lizzie got preggy, it was a stillborn. These two had a rocky relationship. I think the rockiness came from not having kids because I know Thomas Stride wanted to have kids and she just couldn't do it. So she starts drinking heavily. And you're going to notice that a lot of these people drink heavily. They finally broke up in 1877. I support it. Hi, hi, heavy drinking? Yeah, why not? Binge drinking. Do it, kids. You got to, if you can't purge, if you don't binge. That's true. They broke up in 1977 They are 1877 and then they get back together. They're one of those kind of people. Thomas sells the coffee shop 
and moves on with his life. With no coffee left to burn and nowhere to turn, Liz ends up moving into various boarding houses, just like the other girls by 1882. She also returns to sex work on a casual basis. This is what I saw. She would only turn tricks if very desperate. Long Liz had a boyfriend. She mooched off. That's the type of work that only puts you in the casual infirmary, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I've untied me gown. (laughs) (laughs) John Stride died in 1884 from tuberculosis. So, yeah, she lost her spousal support there. She got a new boyfriend. His name was Michael Kidney, uh, which I find very funny because she was a drunk. Long Lizzie would borrow money from Kidney and sleep at his house. According to Kidney, Lee's put strain on the relationship by always being hammered. From 1886 to 1888, she, Liz had been in front of a judge eight times with charges of drunken disorderly. Damn. On September 26, Kidney and Lizzie got into an argument and she and Kidney separated. <laughs> That'll be funnier later. Back- <laughs> <laughs> she was back to living in the boarding houses instead of spoiler (laughs) instead of turning tricks liz decided to help with some of the housekeeping around the lodging house during some extra and she married mr (laughs) Eudis. maybe i should say in addition to turning tricks she was helping clean the lodging houses on september 29th lizzie had earned a sixpence cleaning a couple of rooms at the boarding house, she used this money to have a few drinks at the Queen's Head pub with one of her acquaintances from the lodging house, Elizabeth Tanner. According to Tanner, Long Liz was dressed up for the night on the town. Tanner wasn't up for the whole night out and went back to the lodging house. Lizzie decided to stay out. She was seen at 11 p.m. with a man who was described to have a dark mustache wearing a morning suit and a bowler hat. I have no fucking clue what a morning suit is. No, I... A morning suit is like a tuxedo with the long tails on the back. Oh. And it's usually got like a, a pinstripe. Okay, cool. Jay Best, the man who had seen her, said that the man Liz was with seemed like a respectably dressed man and was rather astonished at the way he was going on at the woman. Long Liz was seen by a second eyewitness, William Marshall, with a man wearing a peaked cap, black coat, and dark pants. He was carrying a newspaper wrapped parcel as well. This was at 1145. It seems like she was out working, but that is not confirmed. The second eyewitness claims that Liz was kissing this decently dressed man. He was five foot seven, had a dark complexion and a very small mustache. He was in his late twenties, early thirties. He reportedly said to her, you would say anything, but your prayers. <laughs> There's no haha on that one, but dirty talker. This fucking guy talks in emoji. <laughs> the police constable, William Smith, Saw a couple walking at about 12.30 a.m. while he was out on his regular patrols. In West White Chapel, born and raised, I walked my beat like most of my days. Chewing all Max and walking like a tool with a couple was walking, acting all cool. When a couple walked past, they looked normal and said, so yeah, man, I forget off back to the beat for the rest of the night. I couldn't finish it, but I tried. Is that Eminem's new album? <laughs> yeah. They're doing nothing suspicious, so PC William Smith just kept walking. Sometime around 12.35 to 12.45, dock worker James Brown thinks he saw Long Lizzie talking to a man on the corner. He kind of pressed up against the wall, and James Brown said that he could hear say, not tonight, maybe some other night. Ow! Not tonight. Maybe some other night. Not tonight. Anyways, uh, the last person to see Long Lizzie was a man named Israel Schwartz. He was a recent Hungarian immigrant and spoke very little English. Schwartz said that he was walking 
around 1245 and saw a man stop and talk to a woman in a gateway in front of a Jewish social club. He thinks the woman was long Liz. The man was about 30 years old, five foot five, broad shouldered with a fair complexion, dark hair, small mustache on his fat little face. Some speculate that this guy Schwartz saw was a man named Aaron Kuzminski, a Jewish barber from the neighborhood. Just remember that guy for our suspects, Aaron Kuzminski. Then the man took the woman and threw her to the street. Schwartz hears the woman scream three times, but not very loudly. He thinks he's seeing a domestic violence situation. And this is where Lizzie's body was found 15 minutes or so later near the Dutfields yard. Schwartz then says he crosses the street to stay out of it. As he crosses the street, Schwartz notices a second man standing there lighting his pipe. The second man yells out at Schwartz as he passes Lipsky. Now, Lipsky is apparently a slur towards the Jews during that time because some about a year earlier, there was this murderer called Israel Lipsky who like killed another lady by pouring acid down her throat. So he was like a famous murderer in Whitechapel from like a year past. I would think the slur would be foam throat. <laughs> it doesn't roll off the tongue. Literally, there's nothing left to roll off of. Schwartz claims that the second man started following him until eventually Schwartz loses him near the train station. The second guy was about 35 years old, five foot 11, which I find fucking ginormous for the time. Light brown hair, a brown mustache, wearing a dark overcoat with old black felt hat. Schwartz found a police officer to report the incident to. And by the time old Lizzie body was being discovered, there was already a lot of fanfare. Before I get into the Lizzie's murder scene, I want to say the second man was cleared in the suspect category as police of the time ran down the guy and figured he was chasing Schwartz, that he figured he was chasing Schwartz. So they found him and he wouldn't have had time to actually murder because the, by the time they reported it, it was the murder was already happening. So that guy's the five foot 11 guy's just a racist in that time. Well, th- no, they probably didn't care. They let him go. They were like, go be racist oh, somewhere I'm, else. You know I'm what I mean? They were like arresting him. That. He just was. Surprised <laughs> he was racist. <laughs> this man makes like people think that there might be two like a rippers working with someone. This guy was like the watch, the lookout guy, you know? Is the jacks of ripping. Anyways, I, I'm going to go with no. That guy was just probably standing there waiting to be racist. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. We just standing there like, who can I, who can I accost tonight? Oh, Jew. That's probably like him. the biggest hobby back then. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what do you do in your free time when you're not making gravel or sleeping against a rope? Oh, I stand around <laughs> waiting to be racist. That tracks. Hey, I can't wait. Can it's I coming be up. racist now? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Anywho, so at about 1 a.m., September 30th, I found old Long Liz lacerated and left lifeless. Louis Daimschultz, a longtime member of the Jewish Social Club, was riding his pony and cart through Dutfield's yard after a long day of selling jewelry. I think it would be cool if he rode his duck through pony yard. That'd be cooler, yeah. In the dark, the pony shied left and refused to go forward. So Dime Shuts took out his whip and whipped whatever was in front of him. No, he actually noticed a blockage in the road and lit oh, a man, match. I thought you were so serious. <laughs> I was about to like, like you're about to see my face like light up. Like, well, it doesn't get. It's not much better. He lit a match, and he thought it was a tarp. He's like, "Fuck, there's a tarp there." He, the only thing he didn't do was take a fucking whip. So he he lit it up, and then he got a little closer, and he noticed it like. It was a woman. And then, you know, he thought like, holy fuck, there's a woman dead outside. My wife's in that social club. That's right up the street. I'm going to check on her. So he runs there, checks on his wife. His wife's there. All right. Run. She was okay. So then he tells all the people there's, there's a drunk lady or something out in the yard. Let's go check her out. You know, uh, I've, I've 
been around the horn. I've seen a lot of shit. I've never confused a dead or passed out woman for a tarp. Well, you know what's funny is like I've done like you ever do the the opposite of that like when you're driving and like there's like a bag like moving in the road. Oh, for and sure. Like your heart skips. Oh, I thought you meant like you're going you're going down Harbor Freight and start fucking packages to find out it's a tarp, not a woman. <laughs> uh, n- um, may- maybe I don't I don't have every single one of the memories I've ever had, but. I would, I feel strongly that I may not have done that. So it it's not important to have a photographic memory if you have a pornographic memory. I will keep that in mind the next time I'm in a Harbor Freight. Don't forget the free flashlight. I mean, flashlight. I mean, flashlight. Dime Schutz <laughs> runs into the, yells at everyone. There's a drunk lady outside. Let's go check her out. She, she might be dead. I don't know. So they bring, they go and they bring a candle and return to the scene and after seeing that the woman was bleeding out, several club members ran off to report the body to officials. There was still blood running down her neck and onto the street. I Is this a bad time? Can I interject? I thought you were going to say they stuck the candle up her ass and then pulled it out to see how soft the wax was to determine the temperature and time of death. Uh, no, mm, the light that... up like a jack-o'-lantern. It's just almost Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> Quick, before someone takes away. What a perfect decoration. Light her up. They, uh, the patrons of the club start running down the street yelling murder like they would in those days. And then police finally went fine. Whatever. Constable PC Spooner came out to see what the commotion was about. PC Spooner lifted her head and saw that there was a big gash on her throat two inches by six, two inches wide by six inches long. Blood was still spurting and he, she felt warm to the touch. Two doctors arrive on the scene a couple, 15, 20 minutes later, Dr. Frederick Blackwell. And then our buddy Bagster Phillips shows up again, who is the doctor for the Chapman scene. Both doctors were ordered to do an autopsy because the investigation had been criticized for not getting a second opinion on the original murders. So they both agree that the wound was made from left to right, like the other murders. The thing that makes Long Liz unique in the canonical five is that she didn't have any mutilations on her body like the others. Her cause of death was determined by both doctors as loss of blood from near decapitation. Speculation has it. The reason the Ripper didn't mutilate this time is because he was interrupted by the pony cart and ran off before he was caught. So because of the lack of mutilation, police didn't right away think Lizzie's murder was connected. They just thought it was a gang member stabbing a woman again. It wasn't until a few days later that they connected the dots. And I'll get there in a second. Before we get there, September 30th isn't over. The Ripper strikes again that night. 45 minutes after finding the body of Long Liz, the body of Catherine Eddowes was found in the nearby Mitre Square. Mitre Square was a 12-minute walk from where Long Liz's body was found. So like you get there on foot. Let's just talk about her for a couple seconds. Catherine Eddowes was born in Grainsley Green, Wolverhampton, England. And I wrote Wolverhampton expecting that to be red underlined. No, it's not. That's a word. Wolverhampton, England, in 1842. She was the sixth of 12 children. Her parents were both dead of tuberculosis by the time she was 15. Goddamn Poe. Her and her younger siblings were put into an orphanage, and they were all enrolled in school to learn a trade. She later later marries an ex-soldier named Thomas Conway and has three children with him. Much like the other women, Eddowes had a drinking problem, and that ultimately resulted in her and Thomas breaking up. In 1880, Eddowes leaves her husband and two youngest children, so she abandons those two. 
1881, Eddowes had been living with a fruit salesman named John Kelly. That was her little boyfriend. Uh, they both met while living at a lodging house. She was still drinking heavily, being charged with at least one drunken disorderly that we know about in 1881. The manager of the boarding house, though, said that they were friends and she was really drinking to excess. But I'm going to go ahead and say that she probably was. That guy doesn't know everything. She engaged in casual prostitution, another casual prostitute, apparently. Fruit salesman. Yeah, fruit salesman. Selling flowers and crocheting. Bulldogs eating mayonnaise. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> that, honestly, if you could sell that, though, I feel like that, that would probably be interesting to watch back in the 1800s. <laughs> Mainly because I don't know if they even had mayonnaise back then. She was known to do casual prostitution. This is what they say anyway. But she would also like bum money from her family, from her sisters and her daughters to pay for like bed and lodging houses. <laughs> for some people, prostitution is bum money. <laughs> yeah. Edo's sex worker was also disputed with Rubenhold. Edo's was known to also earn a bit of money doing domestic work, like sewing or cleaning for the burgeoning Jewish community developing in that area of London. In the summer, Edo's and Kelly would even earn money picking hops in Kent. They would take trips to like the town over to go pick hops. Maybe she was doing sex work. Maybe she just had side jobs, whatever. At this point, like, Either way, it's not like, like if she was doing it, doing the sex work, it was because the fucking living situation was shitty. It's not like she was forced into it. She's like a 40-year-old lady. By September 29th, 1888, Eddowes had run out of money, and she woke up that morning telling Kelly that she was going to go try and borrow some money from her daughter. So she left for her daughter's house by 2 p.m. and informed Kelly that she'd be back around 4 p.m. Eddowes never made it back to Kelly. That night... Kelly was like waiting around for her. By the time it was almost too late to get into a boarding house, he had to pawn his boots to get a place to sleep for the night. Pissed, probably. Like fucking Catherine drank away her money, guaranteed. So I'm guessing her daughter did give Eddowes the money because at 8.30 that night, she was taken to the police station for being passed out drunk on the pavement outside 29 Aldgate High Street. A crowd had formed around her, laughing and watching the display of drunkenness before she passed out. Just a fucking mess in the middle of the street at eight o'clock. PC Louis Frederick and PC George Simmons brought her back to the Bishopsgate police station to sleep it off. When they asked her her name, she replied nothing and passed out in the cell. Shortly after 1230 PM, Eddowes was awake and singing in her cell. She was known to be a jolly lady and singing was common around Catherine. Eddowes was asking to be released and the police wanted to see how sober she was. After about a half hour, around 1 a.m. And you suck this dick. Yeah, that's probably what the deal was, honestly. About a half hour later, September 30th, she's released using the name Mary Kelly, Mary Ann Kelly, which is hilarious because Mary Ann Kelly or Mary Kelly is the name of the last victim. So she just randomly used a name that ended up being the name of the next person murdered. Hmm. That's like getting ALS and not knowing you had the name Lou Gehrig. <laughs> that's true <laughs> when she left Bishopsgate she goes the opposite direction of her boarding house and is seen at 1235 by three witnesses they're all walking near Mitre Square on Duke Street where they had just left the Imperial Club located on Duke Street one of the three men Joseph Lond Lawend said he saw Eddowes talking with a medium build man with a mustache in his late 20s early 30s the man was around 5 foot 7 and was wearing a loose fitting black and white jacket a gray cloth cap and a reddish neckerchief. He looked like a sailor, apparently. I don't know. I guess sailors dressed like that. I don't know how you know someone looks like a sailor. Maybe the neckerchief gave it away. I don't know. 
She was facing the man, one hand on his chest in more of a flirty way than get the fuck away from me way. Lawende passed this encounter and never looked back. At 1.44 a.m., Edo's body was found by Constable Edward Watkins in the southwest corner of Mitre Square, which if you look at the way it was positioned back in the day, it would have been the darkest corner of the square, unlit during the 1880 streets of Whitechapel. She was found laying on her back with her head resting on a, in a coal hole, which I had to look that up. That's basically a mailbox for coal delivery. You just have like a hole outside every house and they just come by and shovel some coal into your fucking hole every day. Wow. <laughs> yeah, dude, again, um, that like- That's kind of still a thing in Pennsylvania. Oh yeah. They don't deliver it every day. They don't deliver it every day, but people have these like coal shoots. So when you order coal, you'll order like one or two tons at a time. They'll drive up and like hook up to your chute and just deliver it into your coal room. I have a coal room in my house. Did you say fucking tons of coal? <laughs> Why are yeah. you using tons of coal? I'm stuck on front hole, corn hole, coal hole. I don't use my coal stove anymore, but a lot of homes around here are heated using coal. Are you like steampunk? Have you gone full steampunk? Are you steampunk? <laughs> yeah, <he's> <laughs> I'm actually, I'm actually trying to get away from coal. It's because electricity <laughs> is so expensive. Trying to get away from coal. I just, yeah. If, I, if it wasn't for my goddamn locomotive, I'd be off of coal. <laughs> no, we coal is used to heat houses like a lot. Swipe yeah, left. Yeah, Swipe you, left. I'm anti coal hole. In the fucking state of Pennsylvania and 1800s UK, apparently. <laughs> you, you're telling me you've never heard of somebody using coal? No, <laughs> not even. I know they use coal to power power plants, but not to fucking go in your house and shovel into a fucking coal oven. Yeah, that's a it's a very common thing. I'm going to try to get away from coal. I thought maybe I might start um, partaking in medicine. (laughs) Maybe uh... I'm done with these leeches, too. Let's get them out of the house. Yeah, I think I think I'm going to get on the water grid. uh, Maybe Tuesday (laughs) or Wednesday. All right. To be fair, my house is fitted for coal and I have a coal stove and I have coal to burn. I didn't burn it this last winter. I went, I went all electric. You went, you went coal <laughs> Turkey. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Greta Thunberg loves you. <laughs> yeah. That's fucking crazy. Also don't talk shit on the coal market. My parents sell coal. Your parents <laughs> would sell coal. I knew. He's, I fucking knew fucking Rick. Oil is like, of course they're coal. Yeah. Bands. Yeah. They have of like, they're he has like, Fucking like they probably like have like polar bear for dinner on Sundays. <laughs> hey, when, when when they go to the bank to make a withdrawal, though, they say, "I'll be back, honey. I got to make a colostomy." <laughs> All right, so <laughs> and we're we're back to silent farts. <laughs> when Rick was a kid, they they would like invite like shitty poor orphans over for him to like play with, but like just like his his play dates were just him making fun of like these like. Horribly abused poor kids. I'm just imagining your Christmas as being very sad, always getting coal, and your parents are so excited, and you're like, but this is the bad one. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, my parents don't exclusively sell coal. They just also Yeah, they also deal in, you know, human blood. Um, (laughs) Illegal arms. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) uh, uh, Chinese crypto. The slave trade. Various knives. So she's Ugh. found her heads in the coal hole. Poor, poor Rick. 
<laughs> That's just a whole. It's, it's not. He's not even his fault. He had these evil rich parents. The only solace he has in life, the one thing he can hide away in, is a is a hot dog with peanut butter and ketchup on it. We won't even let him have that. I got that. I got that from my dad. My dad has been doing that his entire life too. Your dad's lost all taste buds from working with coal for his whole life. It's all gone. He just <laughs> tastes coal. I guess. <laughs> The only thing worse than finding your head in a coal hole is find a coal in your head hole. That's true. PC Watkins, after finding her, runs across Miter Square, ran into Curly and Tong's warehouse, where he knew a retired policeman, George Morris, was working as a night watchman. Watkins begs for Morris's help. For God's sakes, man, come to my assistance. Here is another woman cut to pieces. Morrison came to see the situation, and as soon as he sees the body, he blows his police whistle furiously, trying to get all the police he could to assist. Another officer arrives in response to the whistle and summons local surgeon George William Sequiria. 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 I don't know how to say names. Uh, the doctor's there about 155. The officer brought Dr. Sequia to the darkest part of Miter Square to show him the scene. The scene was a doozy. It just gets grosser. Even with the little time he had, Jack got to mutilate a lot more than he usually did. First of all, her throat had been slashed by a left-handed person like the others, right to the vertebrae like the others. Her abdomen was cut open like nickels, except this time he made a weird art project out of her body. Her intestines were thrown over her shoulder, but the, the intestines were covered in fecal matter this time because he cut about two feet of the intestine and he placed them near the crook of her arm, which looks by design. Anatomical knowledge. Oh, my God. Her right ear was cut all the way through, like Jack said he would do in the Dear Boss letter. The ear being mutilated was the reason the Dear Boss letter was taken seriously later. Uh, over the reign of Jack the Ripper, there was over 600 letters sent to the police and media claiming to be the killer. Uh, only a few were ever taken seriously, that being one of them. And that's why, because the ear was actually clipped off after he said he was going to do it. Edo's abdomen was cut open and her left kidney was removed along with her womb. There was an escalation for with Edo's. Her face was mutilated, unlike the other girls. Both of her eyelids had been cut through vertically. There was a cut along her face from eye, nose, down to jaw. The tip of her nose was removed right down to the bone. Her mouth was slashed. Jack cut pieces of her cheek and peeled her face, creating a triangle flap that was about an inch and a half wide. Then he took the newly removed kidney and uterus and left. I'm really uh, starting to dislike this guy. Yeah, he's a piece of shit. <laughs> there are photos of her at the mortuary. They're gnarly. When they found her, she was still quite warm to the touch. Uh, Edo's murder happened between 1.30 and 1.45. So Jack only needed 15 minutes to do all this much damage. This is what they're saying. The fact that the Ripper was acting quickly and... Uh, he was probably covered in long Liz's blood when he encountered Edo's, which I find crazy. He was just, if he, if he actually killed long Liz, which I don't really know if he did, I honestly, I'm kind of on the fence on that one, but if he did, he would have ran to that other miter square, killed Edo's. He had to convince her to go to the dark part of the place to fuck her. So he would have been covered in blood. I just find that fucking crazy. He cornered over there. Police inspector from the Bishopsgate police station, Edward Collard orders an immediate search of the neighborhood. Officers start canvassing the neighbors. James McWilliam, the head of the city police detective department, arrives with a handful of other detectives. They all go search the nearby lodging houses and streets to lead up to them. With the quick response of the police and the questioning of the man, any man in the vicinity, the police were no closer to finding Jack the Ripper. 
also the fact that he slipped past all the police boggles my mind too. Like there would have been a shit ton of guys out that day. They were waiting now. They weren't, they weren't fucking around. He would have been carrying fucking covered in blood, carrying a kidney, you know, like how the fuck did he get by? And no one saw anything. At least that's what they're saying. I know the people at Whitechapel hated the cops. So they probably did. Somebody probably did see something, but they didn't think anything of it. Everyone was covered in blood. Remember, it's all sorts of butchers and shit here. So probably saw a bloody dude and they just went, meh, he's going home from work. He got home a little late. So after the examination of Edo's at the mortuary, it was found out that part of her apron had been cleanly cut off and taken by Jack. They didn't find any other clues though. And at about 3 a.m., about a 15-minute walk away, a blood-stained, shit-covered piece of Catherine's apron was found sitting in a passage of a doorway on Goulston Street, Goulston Street in Whitechapel. The condition of the portion of the apron must show how Jack must have looked. Shit and blood covered. Like that. It just boggles the mind. I've seen two different speculations as to why Jack would have had taken the piece of the apron, either to wash the blade or to wash himself so he could get away. So he ripped the piece off so he could just wipe his face or something. Is it possible he he ate it and had an undiagnosed stomach issue? <laughs> just uh, and then passed uh, it, so turdberculosis. Uh, turdberculosis. That's exactly turdberculosis, yeah. You know how to make a woman scream during sex? I know you're gonna tell me. Stab her. All right. What is Stand it? up and wipe your wipe your dick on the drapes. <laughs> I've heard a way worse version of that that I'm not even gonna say. I like cat. I like cats. I'm not gonna tell this <laughs> story. He must have. Uh, he must be covered in blood, anyways. That's what I'm saying. Anywho, above where they found the the piece of the apron, above the archway, of the doorway, there was a graffiti written in chalk, and it read. The Jews are men that will not be blamed for nothing. And Jews is spelled J-U-W-E-S. Will be blamed for something is what the implication is there. Exactly. It's the cheeky. He's got anatomical knowledge and he's fucking retarded. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. The graffiti might or may or may not have been had anything to do with the murders. Because I was telling you earlier, a lot of graffiti started popping up after the first murder when they said it was a Jew right they said it was a jewish person but either way it was washed off that night by the police because they thought it would probably start a riot in the jewish community it was right by a marketplace a jewish marketplace if they saw that they heard that bloody apron was it yeah they didn't want so they just washed it off took no pictures didn't let any of the media get a picture nothing just it's gone so was it even on there i don't even know like did the cops just say that was there you know what i mean like there's a couple people saw it sure and they reported it cool but like I don't know, the anti-Semitism, you know, like, did they just make that up to make the story even worse? The only thing that the actual apron did show is the given idea of the direction that the killer had gone after the murder. But that was about it. It didn't help the case along at all. The next day on October 1st, the Central News Agency receives a postcard. The postcard is written in red ink, like the Dear Boss letter, and has what looks like a blood smear on the front of it. It says the following. I was not cotting, dear old boss, when I gave you the tip. You'll hear about Saucy Jackie's work tomorrow. Double event this time. Number one squealed a bit, couldn't finish straight off. Had not time to get ears off for police. Thanks for keeping last letter back till I got to work again. Jack the Ripper. This is called the Saucy Jackie postcard, which I find funny. Saucy Jack. This is when they start taking both those seriously, saying like, these two are actually real. The other fucking million they started getting, no. 
So they actually print them. They actually print a bunch of them. I don't know if they do it here, if they do it later. I'm just going to say they did it here because I can't remember. But they like printed off giant copies of these letters and posted them around the city saying like, does anyone recognize this handwriting? But like, that's like just terrifying everyone. Everyone's like fucking so scared now. But they have all these like saucy Jackie and the dear boss letter just everywhere. Like, thanks, idiots. And then the print papers print them and everything. So it, Jack the Ripper is now gripping the community of Whitechapel, terrifying everyone. And it's the, the reason that uh, they took the saucy Jackie letter seriously was because he called it a double event. And the way, like it came the next day, none of this stuff would have been released in the newspaper yet. So they, it, he, he must have known something about it. But we'll get into why we think it's a fake or Ripper all just think it's not from the Ripper. Nowadays, the Saucy Jack postcard and the Dear Boss letter have been uh, contested as actually written by the Ripper. A few people have claimed, including the police at the time, that the letter was written by a couple of journalists at the Star to, quote, keep the business alive. So the Saucy Jackie postcard had been lost to history. So no one, no one knows where that actually is, just photos of it. So we can't investigate any more of it. The Dear Bo- Boss letter went missing from history as well. Just a photo of it. Uh, until 1987, when it was returned with other Jack the Ripper evidence in a brown envelope anonymously. I took some journalism classes in uh, college. That's what we called the circulation jerk. <laughs> the handwriting on both the Dear Boss letter and the Saucy Jackie postcard match. Please do their inquest on the double event that the Saucy Jackie postcard talks about. Nothing really comes of it. Again, October 16th, 88, the chairman of the Whitechapel Vigilance Committee. George Lusk receives a parcel. The Whitechapel Vigilance Committee was a group of local volunteers who patrolled the streets of Whitechapel District because they were unsatisfied with the police service they were receiving from the local detachment. This actually started after the second murder of Annie Chapman. It was about a month earlier at this point. So the Vigilance Committees were a common occurrence in London. It's not like this was a new thing they just came up with for Jack the Ripper. If they weren't satisfied with the police, they'd vigilante up and they'd go try and find them themselves. Like neighborhood watch, right? Essentially, but with like billy clubs and fucking hammers and shit. Like going on the streets looking for the guy. You know what I mean? It's not like uh, they're not going to just call the police. They're going to go out and fucking police themselves. And, and I'm not trying to say that they had an adversarial relationship with the police either. Like they all got along. They all The police actually appreciated it. There wasn't enough guys. There was places of Whitechapel cops wouldn't walk by themselves. They'd have to go with two or three people. That's how scared they were. So they actually appreciated these guys going around. So. The parcel received by Mr. Lusk was dated October 16th, and it contained two things. One was a letter, which is now called the From Hell Letter, written in red ink. It it reads. Saw that movie. It reads. From Hell, Mr. Lusk. Okay, and I'm going to tell you right now, if I'm reading this ridiculously, it's because there's a lot of spelling mistakes. It's really bad. It's poorly written. So. From Hell, Mr. Lusk. Sore. Not sir. Sore. I send you half the kidney. No, why? Kidney. I took from one woman, preserved it for you to their piece. I fried and ate, and it was very nice. With an S. I may send you the bloody knife that took it out if you only wait a while longer. Signed, catch me when you can, Mr. Lusk. Mr. Lusk. One, retarded. To anatomical knowledge. Yeah. Uh, what, he said there's half a kidney. So there's a, he said he ate the other half. So now there's fucking cannibalism. The second thing in the parcel, first was the letter. Second thing was a preserved half kidney. 
uh, it was preserved in gin. Eddowes was missing a kidney. Um, the From Hell letter has different handwriting than the other two letters. It's also written with spelling mistakes. The other two letters look like they're written by someone who actually could write. There's also a noticeable missing sign-off of Jack the Ripper. Also, the letter writer promised to send the bloody knife eventually. Either way, if you came, I'm going to ask you, if you get this in the, after all that's going on, okay, and you're the head of the vigilance committee, you get this parcel, what do you do? Um, I don't like to waste food, so I'll eat the other half of the kidney. Good call. See, my vote was furiously masturbate. Good call, mm. Ricky. I'm coming in with you with the real fucking answer. What has he got? No, no, the catch me when you can. I'm just now now I'm thinking about Leonardo DiCaprio and Tom Hanks, and I'm thinking there's some connection there. Is one of them masturbating the other eating a kidney? <laughs> hey, I mean, there's always a tie-in with the celebrity and liking young women, and I mean DiCaprio kind of does that. Yeah, at least they're 20. The ones that still have their kidneys. Okay, so if you get a fucking kidney in the mail, I'm going to be serious for a second. You're not going to go like, well, I wonder if this is serious. Like, that's what Lust does. He's like, this isn't serious. I don't take this seriously at all. He thought the letter was a prank, and the kidney was just that of a pig or something. So Lust didn't give up the evidence to the police until he brought the letter to the committee for discussion. They convinced him that he should probably go and bring the letter and the kidney to police for examination, buddy. You should go check it out. Wait, he kept it? He thought it was a pig's kidney and he yeah. kept it? Yeah, he just tried to walk around. He's like, I'm going to bring his committee. Maybe they'll think it's real. I, I don't know what to think about this. He's an idiot. All right, but that part's weirder. If you get a half a pig kidney in the mail and you're just like, eh, that's not human. Why would you keep it? Why would you have like a shelf full of fraction organs? And where did he keep that? Was it hidden from the police well? Next to his, next to his fleshlight. It was pretty it, wait, made of real flesh. <laughs> just no light. Just very cool. Uh, it was in a jar with alcohol. It was preserved like that. But anyways, the police for, uh, photographed the letter and put it into evidence folder, the ever-growing Jack the Ripper file. The kidney is brought to Dr. Thomas Openshaw at the London Hospital, who confirms that it is from a human and it is a left kidney. The doctor also identifies the kidney as a Ginny kidney which was misunderstood as meaning there was evidence of alcohol abuse in the kidney as well. In reality, the doctor only meant that the kidney had been preserved in alcohol before delivery. I thought it meant it, the guy pulled it out of somebody's virginity. Yeah, maybe. The letter and kidney have since disappeared from evidence. It's 150 years ago. I don't really, I don't really expect them to keep everything. Without the letter or kidney, there's no way to do any type of modern forensics on it. So that's the end of those two pieces of evidence. And uh, the police investigate the From Hell letter, but nothing ever comes from it. The police also printed giant copies of the uh, From Hell letter and posted it all over the place to see if anyone would recognize the handwritings. Uh, this is why they got over 600 Jack the Ripper letters. There are letters sent everywhere, too, not just the police, like to the fucking media, to the hotels, to stores, people, fucking private houses. Like, we're going to come kill you, Jack the Ripper. Like, Jesus Christ. And then it's relatively quiet in Whitechapel for a few more weeks. Everyone starts to calm down a little bit. And that's until November 9th, 1988, when Jack strikes again. He kills a lady named Mary Jane Kelly. She was younger of the, the victim. She's like 25. So there's not really much known about her younger life per se. She's the most mysterious, but she's also the most studied. Do you know stuff from her last month that can be corroborated? Like Kelly was a drunk, like all of them so far. Quiet and affable when she was sober angry and abusive when she was drinking uh her early life though it was hard to pin down 
A lot of what we know about Mary Kelly's early life is relayed to police by her most recent boyfriend, Joseph Barnett. Um, none of the info Barnett bought to the police can be corroborated at all. So there's no documenting evidence back any of it up, but here it is. Mary Jane Kelly had many aliases, including Mary Jeanette Kelly, Fair Emma, Ginger, Dark Mary, or Black Mary. She was about 25 years old when she was murdered. She was considered very good looking by most people. It's not like the other ones. She was uh, very, very good looking by everyone who spoke about her. She was born in 1863 in Limerick, Ireland. Her father was an iron worker by the name of John Kelly. And what her mother did is unknown. Uh, when Kelly was 16, she got married, but her first husband died in a mining accident. She moved mm -hmm. to Cardiff for a time, and that's where she got into prostitution. Uh, this time it's confirmed Kelly was definitely a prostitute. Whether she was trafficked into London from Ireland or not is up for debate. She ends up in London by 1884, where she gets to work in an upscale brothel. Uh, in the West End, I believe. Kelly had to move to the lower street, lower class street worker in the East End after some sort of, they were saying that she was kind of getting too close to one of her Johns in the West Side. And then the wife found out and they kind of like banished her from being like, you're now a low life hooker. Get to the shitty hooker side, you charlatan or you Charlotte. She got demoted. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's basically what it sounds like. I don't really, it's pretty unclear as to why, but she had to move from one side to the other. Apparently didn't have contact with her family at all, but I've also seen it written that she would get letters from her parents from time to time. Once Kelly moved to the East End, she started drinking heavily. That's where she probably got depressed. Mary Jane Kelly didn't live in boarding houses for very long. That's another thing about her. She did live there for a short period, but she met Barnett at a boarding house actually, but they got their own place. Um, after John got a job, they got a little apartment on Dorset street called 13 Miller's court. It was a shithole, but it's better than having to live in the little coffins. It was a 12 square foot single room. All windows were boarded up. The door was padlocked from the inside, <laughs> but most times it wasn't kept on. In fact, Kelly lost her key and locked the door by putting her hand into the broken window and locking it from the inside, from the outside. She fucking locked herself out one time. So she never locked it again. It was always just nice. broken window. 12 square feet. 12 square feet. Yeah. It's like three by four, right? Sounds like it. Yeah. 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 It's a little fucking shit box. Yeah. But you stand in that bed, a shitter and a sink. There's a least place to take a shit, you know, 12 square feet. Jesus. And the door would like bang in like the fireplace was across the doorway. And there was a table that every time you open up the door, the table would bang the table. Like that's how small. I don't, I don't think the word across can exist in a living. Yeah, exactly. Like that. Not, nothing's across from anything. Yeah. If you can reach both sides with your wingspan, it's there's no across. Barnett paid for this. He's got a job as a fish porter, just unloading boxes of fish at the dock. And Kelly decided to quit the sex trade. When Barnett lost his job, Kelly went right back into the profession and she spent most of her time doing prostitution again or sex work or whatever you want to call it. Soon after restarting, she wanted to let another friend who was also a sex worker move into the 12 square foot apartment with her. She would leave for the day. This other girl would bang during the day and then the other girl would leave for the night and she would bang at night so they could use the double the profit of this one little room. Well, John's still fucking living there and he's like, no fucking way. Are you kidding me? I don't even want you to be a sex worker. Now you're bringing another one in here. So he left her. They'd been dating for about a year and eight months. Barnett never moved back in with Kelly, but they did visit from time to time. They were still remained friends. 
Um, so he did visit her the night before the murder. Uh, he didn't stay long and left around 8 p.m. From 8 p.m. on November 8th until her body is found on November 9th are largely unknown. We do know a few things. Mary Kelly was seen by her neighbor, Marianne Cox, at 11.45. Kelly was with a man. The man was stout, ginger, aged approximately in his mid-30s. He was wearing a bowler hat and had a thick mustache, blotches on his face, and was carrying a can of beer. Two ladies exchanged good nights, and Kelly told Cox that she would have herself a song. Mary Kelly was known for singing quite often, and by quite often, I mean singing late at night. Cox used to get super annoyed by her because she wouldn't shut the fuck up at late night just singing her Irish limericks, and she would tell her to shut the fuck up a lot of times. So according to Cox, Kelly didn't stop singing until like 1 a.m. She is next seen at 2 a.m. Kelly was out on the street and ran into her friend, George Hutchinson. She asked him for a sixpence, which she, he didn't have to give her. So then she keeps walking and is stopped by a man who she also spoke with. George reports this man as being of Jewish appearance, aged in his mid-30s. This is the guy people often think is Jack the Ripper. He's also carrying a small package and he had a handlebar mustache. Wait, a handlebar mustache? That's what it says. So cool. He had a goat skin coat and was wearing a gold chain with a large seal and a red stone hanging from it. I don't know much I believe that one. There's no evidence that Hutchinson went into her apartment with her. 4 a.m. on the morning of November 9th, two neighbors of Kelly claimed they heard a faint cry of, oh, murder. They didn't say anything because the cries of murder were very common, like I said. So the two neighbors ignored the cry. At 10.45 a.m., Kelly's landlord, John McCarthy, I'm looking at you, RJ, John McCarthy sends his assistant, Thomas. Look, man. We all got we all got relatives that have been involved in Jack the Ripper. Some of us have <laughs> shitty landlords for uncles. Others of us had our mom's intestines draped over fucking shoulders. I mean, some of us get it worse than others. Some of us have a uterus in a jar in the door behind us right now. Who knows who we are? That that too. Some of us might actually be Jack the Ripper because we're an undead, forever living <laughs> vampire. Uh, I mean, let's not berate our guests. All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so 10.45 a.m., Kelly's landlord, John McCarthy, sends his assistant, Thomas Indian Harry Boyer, I don't know why they call him Indian Harry, but they do, to collect rent from Mary Kelly. She's six weeks behind on payments. When Boyer knocked on the door, there was no response. Boyer then looks inside the house, pushing the curtains aside from the broken window that was beside the door, and sees blood everywhere. Now, this one's a little different for Jack. He killed inside, and he killed a girl in her 20s. So this gets a little fucking crazy. This is the craziest one. So soon after seeing the blood, Boyer sees Kelly's body and runs back to McCarthy to report what he saw. McCarthy runs up to check the room like, oh, Boyer, Indian Harry's lying. I got to go check. Then he goes, oh, shit, he's not lying. So then he yells at Boyer, go get the police and runs down to the police station as fast as he could. This reminds me of that. The kids at the golf course that they go see the golf, the attendant at the park. And he's like, you kids are lying. There's no dead body at the golf course. Then he goes and checks. Okay, there's a dead body at the golf course. He found an inspector named Walter Speck and told him of the scene. Boyer brought Speck and Dr. George Bagster Phillips to the body. Bagster's back again. Speck? Like Richard Speck? Yep. Walter Speck this time. Did you ever see Richard Speck's tits? I did. I was disgusted by the whole breathtaking. Thing. Breathtaking because okay, I'm did... gasping for fucking Forget... air because I almost puked. Uh, I meant nausea. <laughs> You're probably right. 
by this time, the news of the new Ripter victim spread faster than Mallory Kelly looking for a sixpence. Police kept people out of the actual apartment, so the scene was preserved pretty good, which is actually pretty good for them. No one entered the room for two hours because they were sitting there waiting for bloodhounds that the Metro Police had put on commission until Ripper killed again, and then they could like chase him down. But it was like a month since the last killing, and the guy that had the bloodhounds was like sick of waiting. He just went home 200 miles away. He just brought his dogs home, didn't tell anyone. So they sat there outside the door for like two hours. It's like, where's the doggies? They're not coming. They're taking this bloodhound shit serious. Oh, yeah. They used to do that shit all the time. Bloodhounds searching for a poon hound. <laughs> so they enter the apartment at about 1.30. Uh, they get it. They actually get a professional crime scene photographers on site and took some pictures. These crime scene photos are gruesome and they are the first crime scene photos ever taken in England. After the photos, Kelly's body was sent to the mortuary for autopsy. Kelly, like I said, is the worst of the canonical five. The Ripper got to take his time and have some fun. I don't know what it is, but maybe it's because he was inside. Maybe it's because he had time. Maybe it's a combo of both and the fact that he was frustrated because he had blue balls after getting fucking almost busted after a couple times every time he tried to kill someone someone walks up maybe it's just an escalation but it's fucking gross so the autopsy mary kelly took two and a half hours and dr phillips got another doctor assist dr thomas bond wait a minute i'm sorry two and a half hours when it was half done (laughs) it's already open for me exactly that's how much it's hard to for that they couldn't even put together what happened first they just had to like this is what happened so They put the time of her death at about 12 hours before the autopsy. Most of the mutilations from the previous bodies took less than a half hour. This time, Phillips uh, estimated that the mutilations took approximately two hours to complete. First things first, the Ripper killed her by slashing her throat by a left-handed person. The murder weapon was a long knife, about six inches long, one inch wide, like the rest of them. After Kelly died, that's when the real fun started for the Ripper. He's a product killer, not a process killer. He just likes to fuck with the bodies after. He's a weirdo like that. When they found her, she was laying in the middle of her bed with her head turned to whatever was left of her left cheek. Her face was a mess. It was hacked to the point where it almost was unrecognizable. Her nose, cheek, eyebrows, and ears were partially removed with gashes everywhere. Her lips were cut with gashes from the lips down to the chin. Her head was turned to the side because he cut all the way down right to the spine again. Her arms were mutilated by several jagged wounds. Her left arm was close to the body, bent at the elbow from her forearm laying across her abdomen. Her right arm was laying on the mattress kind of away from her with her fingers clenched. Both arms and forearms had basically been skinned. Her legs were spread wide apart. And what was left of her legs anyway, her right thigh was skinned to the bone. Her right butt cheek was like missing partially. Her left thigh was also stripped of its skin and muscles. Her left calf had a long gash going from the knee to five inches above the left ankle. Did you just say this murder was (laughs) half-assed? Yeah. (laughs) The whole surface of her abdomen and thighs were gone. All the way from the bottom of her ribcage to the coastal arch down the pubic area, the skin was torn downwards, leaving three big flaps, just like completely removed. All of her insides were outside in different spots. Her spleen was by the left side of her body. Her thighs were on the table. Her breasts were cut off with circular incisions. One was placed under her head with her uterus and kidneys. 
The other breast was by her right foot. Her liver was at her feet. Her intestines were by the right side and the, her spleen was by the left side of her body. It was almost like the ripper spread her legs, ripped her open like a hood of a car and just kept like throwing parts over top of his shoulder until he found the broken one. Her chest was cut open between her ribs and you could see the contents through the rib cage like shutters. The right lung had sustained damage and the bottom part being broken and torn away. Her left lung was left unharmed. Her stomach was intact and full of half digested fish and potatoes. Her heart was missing completely. Because of how messy Mary Kelly's murder was, Philip suggested that whoever murdered her probably didn't have any anatomical knowledge. Uh, it was just torn apart, ripped to shreds. This was a change about what we were saying in the previous victims. On the next day, November 10th, Dr. Bond wrote a, a report officially linking Kelly's murder with the other four. And he also wrote a profile for Jack the Ripper. Dr. Bond said that Jack would have been a person of solidarity, eccentric, and was the subject of periodic attacks of homicidal and erotic mania. Yeah, he was a little eccentric. Solidarity? I find this guy is like, in Dr. Bond's interesting because he's like the first guy to ever like profile anyone. Is that who Johnny Depp was in the movie? Uh, I can't remember who Johnny Depp was in the movie. He's do- Me neither. I'm I'd have to rewatch it. I sure saw know. it when I was nine. Yeah, I so. was very young. I forget who Johnny Depp was. So I'll, have to, I'll, I'll answer that next episode. Jack must have been in an extreme state of satyrasis, sat- satyrasis, which is just a word for man nymphomania when he performed the mutilations. So Dr. Bond is sometimes considered the fa- grandfather of criminal profiling because of the work on the Ripper. The same day, the commissioner of the Metropolitan Police, Sir Charles Warren, offers a pardon to anyone who knows anything about Jack the Ripper, except for, of course, if you are Jack the Ripper. So he's like throwing it out there for anyone. That'd be so funny. He was like, ah, darn. <laughs> Got me with that one. Yeah, I he almost, almost found the loophole. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. The police were on the hunt for the Ripper and they accused the regular suspects. The first person for Mary Kelly was Joseph Barnett. He was cleared by investigation. That's the boyfriend, though. As usual, there's an inquest in the murder of Kelly. Started a few days later. Nothing comes to the inquest. Then the canonical murderers stop. After six months of no murders with the same MO, the case goes cold. The Metro Police start working on other cases. Now, there are a few other murders that aren't considered canon that happen after Mary Kelly's death. Some researchers list these four murders into the camp of Jack. The first of the murders that isn't considered canon is one call of a lady named Rose Milet. She's 26 years old. She was found strangled on December 20th, 1988. There was no signs of struggle, but the way her strangulation marks were on her head, or sorry, on her neck, the inquest called her death a murder. It had been a month and a week since the last Ripper murder, so I think this is why Milet gets dumped into the pile. She didn't even have any of the same shit, so no. People were just bored and wanted more Jack the Ripper. The next murder, uh, the non-canonical one, is plausible for me, is that of Alice McKenzie. She was found dead on uh, July 17th, 1889 in Castle Alley, Whitechapel. She had two stab wounds to the neck. She was bruised and cut all over her body. She also had a seven-inch long superficial wound extending from the left breast to her navel. Thomas Bond thought this to be a Ripper murder, while our other doctor, Mr. Bagwell, Phillips thought otherwise. Phillips thought this murder was a copycat of the Ripper, which it could be. 
The next one is the Pynchon Street Torso. It's also attributed to the Ripper. A headless, legless body found of an unidentified woman between the ages of 30 and 40 was found on September 10th, 1889. What was left of her was left under a railway arch. Her abdomen was mutilated extensively, but increasingly enough, her genital, uh, interestingly enough, sorry, her genitals were not wounded at all or taken apart. I think this one just because the brutality of it puts it in with Jack the Ripper. I kind of maybe think this one might be an escalation, though. We'll get into it in the suspects. The last victim that's non-canon was discovered a few years later on February 13th, 1891. That's right. A few years later, a 25 year old sex worker named Francis Coles was found laying beneath a railway arch at the Swallow Gardens White Chapel. Her throat had been deeply cut in a sawing motion, but her body was not mutilated. The lack of mutilation is attributed to the fact that the police interrupted the ripper. That's why the police believe this murder was done by Jack. A 53-year-old man named James Thomas Sadler was seen with Coles that evening. Police arrested Sadler and charged him with the murder of Coles. There was a time where they thought Sadler was the Ripper. He eventually got let go because there wasn't enough evidence to convict Sadler of the murder. They should have made him spell the word preservation. <laughs> just spell it. I, I just think we're talking about all these uh, suspected women of the night in Whitechapel, and we're just going to let that whole swallow gardens blow by. <laughs> i'm just gonna let it blow by usually i dodge the blows this brings us to theories um the story's been studied so much over the years still reference to pop culture this day there have been thousands of movies made articles written books published and rumors told about the identity of the world's most unsolved murder case yeah i've seen reports that there's over 200 suspects in this case Uh, i'm gonna go over many of the big ones the funny ones the stupid ones the mystical ones Uh, There's suspects from around the world, all different walks of life, all different career paths, all the way from cart driver to wig maker, famous people, butchers, tailors, pimps. There's even suspects that have ties all the way up to the royal family. But you'll have to wait till next episode because this is where I am leaving it. Oh, I thought we were going to take a five minute break and go to midnight. I'm just going to jump in to say, I know it's not a tailor because he would have been Jack the Zipper. (laughs) I will say, uh, just on a closing note from me, if you care. uh, I do. The thing that I find most interesting about the way that he treated all of his victims, like just like the sheer brutality of it and how like violent and disrespectful he was, uh, is that I would still vastly prefer that to living in 1800s England. Yeah. Like you said, as angel of uh, mercy fucking theory, that's... Honestly, you never know with some fucking crazy person, they might think they're doing them a favor. You know what I mean? Like, I get to have my fun. You get to have your fun. What's the problem here? Some fucking warped mind. I could feel, I see that being something. So you never fucking know. There could have been some guy who's just like, I'm helping. Or or maybe, you know, like you're one of those women and, you know, you've sucked your fourth filthy smog or blood-covered dick of the night for you know, two pence and you're leaning against a rope in one of those houses and you're like, damn, if only someone would come and saw my neck off to end this misery. <laughs> and then there he is and swoops in. Just like that, I'm absolved. <laughs> <laughs> See? Yeah, and I just want i just want to say I too learned a lot about RJ tonight. So thank you for that. <laughs> that I have a very low tolerance and I'm, I'm very, very comfortable with my creature comforts that I have. <laughs> No way I would go back to that. I don't even want to be without texting. 
much less sleeping in a fucking coffin bed. They call it a coffin bed. Letting a spider crawl down and suck your dick is not a creature comfort. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, I don't bust up on your fucking routines. Don't involve yourself in mine. Yeah, but like, I don't even want to like, like imagine being having to like crush bones and just like I want to be the bone guy for the marrow. Like fuck, man, there's so much fucked up shit right. going on at this time. Yeah, right? just like okay, do I do I go to work for for shitty bread, uh, and uh, and a horrible pile of likely shit covered hay to sleep in, or do I get my uh, intestines bored out of me and and draped over my back like what I can pretend is a pretty shawl, and I think I'm gonna go with every time oh man thanks for that that was a lot of fun but i'm not coming back that's way too long okay well fuck you too then i just watched private dicks and i think rj's the funniest what come on hey there all you private dickheads that's probably not the name we're gonna stick with anyways uh rj here i am here to tell you Thank you for listening to another episode of Private Dicks. If you liked what you heard, go on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, anywhere they take your reviews, drop us five stars, say something nice. Also, what you just heard was from last season. If you want current episodes as they're dropped, head on over to patreon.com and search up Unethical Podcast. That's our mother podcast. I was not aware Private Dicks was a spinoff. I'm going to renegotiate my contract. On Patreon is a full 16-episode season more of Private Dicks, uncut videos of each episode, and many more things are getting added all the time. You can also find all of Unethical's content on there, so go listen to that. And, if you're already a patron, fuck yeah, dude. You're the best.